From Noble Robot on East Hennepin Avenue in Thawing, Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Arthur Croy. I too make nice games. We're back with part two of our Game Developers Conference 2022 special. We conducted a bunch of interviews on site at the show, and you're going to hear them. So, everyone's ready. Let's start. What would you rank that one, Ella? I was going to wonder if you guys would bring it up or if I'd have to bring it up. You, you know we're going to bring it up now. It's like a staple, um, I guess. For sure. I definitely got... I, <laughs> I mean, okay. f- for the record, I'm not interested. <laughs> a plus. A, a, all right. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Um, so Dale is here. Hi, Dale. Hi, Dale. Hello. Yes. Dale joined us for the first part of our GDC special, which aired a few weeks ago. And uh, was there with us at the show and did a bunch of these interviews that you're going to hear today. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to have her in the studio uh, to give her impressions and to be a goof and just do all the Dale things. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> you say other things other than hello, right, Dale? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, after GDC, I'm not sure how well I can talk. Yeah, mm-hmm. fair enough. And, and here we are on the podcast. Yeah, um, we've been back for. You'll hear this a few weeks from now, but we were we've been back for two weeks. Am I am I right? Yeah. Actually, oh, a calendar mass even worse than usual. It's a, like a week, about a week. Yeah, about a week. That's it. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Man, <laughs> yep, it's been wild. Um, also, Pixels here. Pixels, my yeah, dog. The fifth member of the clubhouse. <laughs> Pixels, my dog. She's sleeping on the floor. She probably will not have much to say about you. see. But uh, just know that oh. she's on mic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just saying woof oh, to prove oh, I could say that something. That was a pixel. Oh wow, <laughs> really good. That's really good. Um, you know, over the history of the yeah. show, we've had dogs in the clubhouse a few times. Yeah, mm-hmm. a few different dogs. None of them have ever made a peep. It's true. <laughs> so it feels like we're lying. <laughs> We have photo evidence. It's on yeah, Twitter. That's true. That's true. That's true. It's on Twitter. Right. And of course, if you join our, our Patreon, you get extra pictures of Ellen's dogs. I have right. two dogs. This one is the bigger dog. Yeah. Somehow she fit in here. This is, I mean, the, the clubhouse is pretty spacious, I think. But like, we got four people in here and a 60 pound dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, we're running on some limited real estate. It's yeah. almost like being on the plane. We're, we're, running, uh-huh. a, we're running a capacity here. Yeah, yeah. basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so other than our personnel news, um, also, something that Stephen, you could not wait to talk. I played Kirby. I played Kirby. I played yeah. Kirby. I played Kirby. <laughs> uh, so the new Kirby game came out the week of GDC, and yeah. you were just I frustrated. So, I was so upset. You didn't bring your Switch. I did bring. No, no, no. I did bring my Switch. Oh. But on the day of the day, you know, it came out. My brother was like, "Hey, so when are we gonna play the new Kirby game?" Because I guess I was supposed to play it with him. So I like ended up waiting. I'm shocked you have that much respect for your brother. <laughs> I think part of it was that, and part of it was like I. I I was at GDC and I didn't want to like play it. Oh, you want to be in like the perfect environment. Yeah, yeah I need, I need, I need no distractions. Exactly, exactly. I see. Quality I see. time. Yeah. Quality time. <laughs> Honestly, I'm kind of glad I did wait a little bit. Didn't Mario Odyssey come out when we were at MDev? Yeah, it did. And we all, we all played together in a hotel room. Mm-hmm. Uh, ev- everyone had their switches yeah. and we all bought it separately. Yeah. And we took turns using a dock in the hotel room. Yeah. That was fun. That was fun. That was a good time. Yeah. Um, um, but yes, it's a Kirby game. It's amazing. Yay! It really, it's, it's so good. Yeah, it's, it like they improved a lot of stuff about Kirby. Aside from the fact that, like you know, it's in three D, mm-hmm. you can move in the Z axis. Yeah, um, I've, I've been sort of. I don't know Kirby that well. I loved Epic Yarn, yeah. but that's not Aww. really a Kirby game in the that original was cute. sense. Um, Dale and I play that together. Yeah, um, yeah. and uh, so I've been peppering you with questions about it, and you. The impression I've got from you is that it's the improvements are and what's different about it is very much apart 
from it being 3D, which is also yes. a first for the series. Yeah. That seems the least interesting part of it to you. I, yeah, actually, it's kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, so they made a bunch of changes to the powers in order to accommodate 3D. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, in more recent Kirby games, they've increased the size of, like, each power's individual movesets. Um, but they, like, reduced them to made them they made them less complicated for this for this game because mm. of the fact that they're moving in 3d so i think that's the the main aside from the fact that like the levels are different and i yeah. guess movement is different that's the main like core change that happens due to it being in 3d it's like mm. the moveset shrunk to make it simpler to, mm. to to make up for that fact yeah you've got more movement capabilities and yeah like what you just said yeah <laughs> what you just said but again yeah um um but like they just improved like classic powers that kind of like did one thing like needle you know, uh, like just you know, normally when you do needle, you just like stand still and spikes come out of Kirby, and that's the whole thing. You can't move while the spikes are out. This one, like they added, it's like so cool, <laughs> like, <laughs> movement, like movement tech with it and stuff. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really excited to see like speed runs of this game too. Oh yeah, that'll be because like yeah, yeah, because like like the like all the powers just everything everything just feels improved. Yeah. Um. So like it's just it's really good. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I bought Kirby, mm -hmm. and but I bought it at like two thirty in the morning. Oh, uh, and I was like, I'm when tired. When we were at GDC, and you were gonna be like, I'm gonna play this in front of Steven. No, 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 no. <laughs> like me, Steven. No, like I didn't bring myself to GDC. It was at, at it was last week or yeah. when, whenever the time between then and now was. I seem to not know. One of them days. Um, I I I was done working for the day, but it was really late, yeah. and I was like, I can't go to bed yet. I'm just gonna relax. And I usually watch a TV show or something before I do, if I need some time. Yeah. But I was like, I'll I'll buy Kirby, and then I'll download. I'll play like first level or something. Mm -hmm. And I bought it, but it took a while to download. Oh. And yeah. so I was as I was waiting, I I played uh, Mario U Deluxe, oh, sure. which I bought a while ago. I hadn't played much of. I played the challenges in that game. Okay. Which are just these short snippets of like. You know, move through this level with the flying squirrel suit without touching the ground. Yeah. Very, very focused. The kind of Mario challenge I like. Yeah. And I just played that for like two hours. <laughs> and, <laughs> which is like not notable except for it was available. It was what I was going to do while I was downloading. It took forever to download. Mm -hmm. So okay. then I just went to bed. So I have not played it so, yet. So, okay. Mark one, Kirby zero, bed zero. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I guess so. Um, I mean, I got I got gold medal in all those Mario challenges. Nice, nice. That's good. They they are. Oh, like, so you're saying you got more than also, one point there? As far as this is, to, I mean, this is a hundred percent side point to a side point. Uh, but the flying squirrel suit in Mario U, I forgot how much I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe Mark Zero. A, I think it's because I didn't play Mario World growing up. Oh, but like no. I much prefer uh, Tanuki suit, Raccoon Tail oh, over yeah. the kind of like floaty. Like, I, mean, I, hate, I hate the cape. Cape's I hate the, the, the flying squirrel suit. And, yeah, just ugh, boo. Okay, uh, Ellen, you also have Kirby, right? I have. We haven't cracked it open yet, though. Okay. Um, Eric and I have been doing couch co-op Fridays. I've talked about this on the show before, but we have really different yeah. game preferences. Mm -hmm. um, at least, yeah, we have really different game yeah. preferences. So when you can meet in the middle, it's like a big deal. Yeah, so we've set aside some time to do couch co-ops every Friday. Mm -hmm. Like 100% of his games otherwise are currently Elden Ring. It's just like, it's... <laughs> And then he carves out some time for me yeah. and some time for tabletop games on Sunday mornings. But oh, how like, generous! <laughs> <laughs> no, we said we we always have, we we've tried to like do date night stuff and throughout the many years we've been together and right. You um, have things in your life that you share other than games, so it's fine if you have different tastes. You have dogs and games, right? <laughs> Books. Well, anyway, we were gonna start Kirby on Friday and we got distracted by Netflix. We've been watching Dark. Oh, um, okay. And we have a lot of fun with time timey-wimey stuff mm -hmm. trying to figure it out so we, okay. we got very distracted um by dark so we'll probably pick up kirby after we're done binging dark <laughs> um but yeah i've never played a kirby game before so I'm <gasps> to 
shit. Dale asked me uh, if it had a co-op mode, and I didn't it know. It definitely does. It does. I, that, I've been playing it with my brother. Oh, yeah, okay, that's okay. why I was like, why does he want to play with his brother? Yeah. Oh, no. I, you know, I, I guess Charles would maybe watch me play it, but that's weird. Yeah. I guess it's happened I mean, I did think that. That's, that's weird. That's... <laughs> <laughs> fair. Fair. Okay, we filled up a lot of the top of the show with Kirby talk, which yeah. justified. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but my big news, and uh, you'll have probably heard about this already, um, is that the Dream Settler, the sequel to Hypnospace Outlaw, it's the first time I'm saying the name on mic, um, is the game I've been working on for the past Woo! year, and it got announced finally. Oh, Yay! so exciting! Oh, and it, the the annou- from where we're sitting, mm-hmm. uh, the announcement goes live tomorrow. Oh my! So I don't know how the reaction is yet. Mm-hmm. It's all good, but um, everybody yeah. loves it. Yay! <laughs> I don't have much to say, but I showed I showed you folks the 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 reveal. Mm-hmm. So you got a, a, a yes. little bit of a sneak peek. It looks so Peak. cool. It's okay. They're journalists. <laughs> They got a press preview, yeah. True. Oh, uh, oh, that's us. We got a press preview. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a very charming video. I laughed mm-hmm. a lot. It was yeah. <laughs> really fun. Yeah. Yeah. It, there's it's it's meta and it has. I mean, you probably if, if you haven't seen it by now, we'll definitely have the link in the show notes. Right. You can check it out. But it's sort of a Nintendo Direct parody um, that gets interrupted by another game <laughs> that is a side a, a spinoff game created by a character from the first game. This is the wheels within wheels we're dealing with here. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's wonderful. It, that one thing that I really like about Hypnospace Outlaw um, is sort of the commitment to the f- the the um, the verisimilitude of the world. Mm-hmm. Like, it's ridiculous, but it's not – like, it, it feels real. Like, I think for, if you haven't played the game, you're like, oh, it's like a wacky – it's like a bunch of memes or whatever. Right. When you actually play it, it is a real world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and But it still gets to be goofy. And I think it strikes that really interesting balance. And being able to work on – building more of that world in the sequel has been so sad, like unexpectedly joyous for me because it's yeah. not what I expected to do on this game. Oh, and, but I'm doing a lot of that. And yeah. it just playing in that space is, a, a, I'm very at home in it. Yeah. Really, really enjoying it. Um, right now I'm working on the, the first, the sort of first moments of the game mm-hmm. that when you enter the world, that's the, the work I'm doing currently this week. And um, that won't, that's not part of the real, it's just what I'm working on. And just thinking about like, I'm like kind of pinching myself, like, oh, I get, I'm getting to do this. Yeah. Like, it's pretty cool. And now that it's sort of a public thing, I get to, I get to feel that. Whereas yeah. before, it was just kind of something I would hint about on the show is the most I really talk about it. Oh, I love mm-hmm. this. Yeah, that's great. Anyway, that's my news. Okay, but so, we have some other big, big, big news. Yeah, yeah. you guys remember my boyfriend Dylan, right? Yeah. Right. The show's boyfriend. The show's boyfriend. Yeah, because he's all your boyfriends too. Right, 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 right. Right, right. right. For for listeners who need us to explain it, um, <laughs> Dylan is a member of Evil Games Club, yep. the replacement uh, group that takes over the show from time to time. Um, also, a longtime boyfriend of previous permanent host Martha, mm-hmm. um, and uh, dubbed the show's boyfriend uh, yeah. for a long time. Yes, but no longer. Still my boyfriend. Okay. <laughs> Still our boyfriend. Right, right, right. What are we driving at, Dale? Martha married Dylan, uh, my boyfriend. <laughs> he married her back? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was mutual. Good. Pretty sure. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. So we just wanted to congratulate Martha and Dylan. Yeah. It's so exciting. And I, we, wanted, we wanted listeners to know because Martha is a big part of this show. Mm-hmm. And uh, our boyfriend, Dylan, is a slightly smaller but still important part of this show. <laughs> And those crazy kids, they've been together for a long time, but mm-hmm. getting hitched is, I, I'm so happy for them. It's Yay. beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they have been together for a long time, too. So. Yeah. It's a long time coming. 
I don't uh, know. Yeah, Being t- married isn't nobody. that great. <gasps> yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna. The dramatic thing I was gonna point out is that Evil Games Club doesn't have a dog in their in their clubhouse. Right, oh, they they're evil. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> How do you get a dog to be evil? You can't. <laughs> I don't know. I'm getting that sense that like. They might be knocking at the door soon. I'm a little worried. Oh dear. Oh, Evil dear. Games Club. Evil Games Club. Yeah, it's been it's been too long. We've said their oh. names too many times. I know. It's like <laughs> like Beetlejuice. <laughs> I mean, we, we're kind of lazy, so we don't pay attention to how often you say our names, but <laughs> eventually we'll catch on and I mean, show up. Dale's right here. <laughs> We've already been infiltrated. <laughs> it's fine. When, when Dale's on the show or when she does, I feel I forget that she's Evil Games. Yeah. Club. And it's she's just fully in, embedded herself yeah. in the nice games club, and it's like we have a spy amongst us. Yeah, they're, they're chaotic evil. Yeah, <laughs> you just never know what's going to happen next. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the first thing that uh, we saw, or rather Dale saw, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and not, Dale wasn't the only one there, but this is this. Was I brought the, I brought Steven. Right, is yeah, it was what. Cat Cafe Manager. Yeah. Now, this is a, I mean, it's exactly what it sounds like. But yes, it is. more than that, Dale, you got, um, uh, the game's not out yet, or maybe it, it'll be out soon when this yeah, comes it out? Yeah, should, I think it will come out by the time this episode comes out. Okay. Therefore, I did not bother doing any calendar math. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you got, a, you got a, a key in advance. Yes, and, I got a key in advance. And, and after I, after you got it, which was on Monday of GDC, yep, you I, played it all through the week and the following week we were in San Francisco. Oh, I, I mean, I got the key I was like, Dale, on like Dale, Friday of Dale, and she's like, I'm busy. GDC. <laughs> um, I had to manage some time. I had lots of kind of angry customers in my cafe and lots of cats <laughs> that needed to be fed. Yeah, yeah. fair enough, fair enough. And uh, this was—you uh, were so excited about this. You didn't record an interview with this with the developer. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's not my responsibility. <laughs> yeah, I, I dropped the ball on that. Sorry. <laughs> well, I was just gonna say we we have a ton of these that we're gonna talk about and, that, and we'll be playing it during the show. Right. But before we get into that, we do want to talk about some of the things we saw that we didn't get a chance to record. Yes. Just to get our impressions down or on the show. We saw in a very loud environment where the recording is not great. <laughs> yeah. I think when we went to the show, we were like, let's record a couple of interviews or whatever, and we got a ton of content. We did get a lot of content. <laughs> and so it was more than uh, we could reasonably. Log file recordings, but we wanted to get some of these impressions out. Mm-hmm. Um, next one, one of the IGF uh, finalists, um, Ellen. You played this one, mm-hmm. Strange Horticulture. Yeah, you seemed really into it. It was really cool. Um, yeah, it, yeah, like the mechanics of it really reminded me of Papers Please, mm-hmm. where you've got like kind of a workspace and you're organizing the workspace. Oh, it's an interesting comparison. Yeah, and you've got you know you've got people coming to your window essentially and they're asking for things and you you know have to give them the things except for it's not dystopian at least it wasn't in the demo that i played (laughs) you you may not have hit that twist yet who knows i don't think it's dystopian instead you're dealing not what was that i hope not (laughs) i really hope not too yeah um no it was really different like it was almost kind of like um like dark academia almost oh that's interesting like um you're dealing with like a like a herb shop Mm-hmm. These are like magical herbs. If you like imagine yourself in Diagon Alley from Harry Potter or something like that, mm-hmm. people are coming in, they're like, oh, I need a plant or I need something that's going to help me do this. And then you're like, okay, I need to do this and I need to find this plant. But the the hitch, of course, is that you don't, when you're coming into the shop, you, you like inherit the shop. So you don't know yeah. all the plants. Um, it was really charming. And I really liked uh, identifying plants. Um, 
And they did an amazing job with the artwork and the plant artwork. Oh. And everything. Yeah. It felt really, really cool. And there was a cat you could pet. So, <laughs> yay! <laughs> yeah. yeah. Segue. We didn't even plan that in the order. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I, I will say this about at Cafe Manager. <laughs> We're still talking about cat. <laughs> yeah. It's about cats. Uh-huh. That you, you get cats for your cat cafe. And I've been volunteering at a cat shelter lately, which yep. is Feline Rescue in St. Paul. And I kept naming the cats in my in my cafe about uh, uh, <laughs> with the names from the cats from the shelter. Oh, it's very charming. It was really it was so cute. Okay. I was like, I know who you are. <laughs> I did not name the plants in Strange Horticulture, but I feel like if I had enough time with them, I probably would have. Of yeah. course, they did have names. Looking over your shoulder, I was. Uh, you're talking about the art, and yeah. I was really impressed too. And I got the impression that this was. They were actual flowers, mm. but uh, but we were talking to the developer while you were playing, and yeah. no, it was it's essentially Pokemon in a way. Kind of, yeah. They yeah. developed their own system, and at first I was like, oh, that's tricky because players might have some difficulty approaching that because unlike like strange creatures in video games, uh, I don't think people would would assume that going in. Mm-hmm. But it's such a great choice mm-hmm. because it it levels the playing field for players. Yeah, and it does it does present it as a magical space, like it like uh, you know like. A pocket monsters kind of genre. Yeah, it was um, cool. and and like and they did a really good job building a proper system of all different types of plants. Yeah, well, and hopefully we can get the developers on the show mm-hmm. at some point. But one of the things that I was delighted by was to hear from them uh, some of the feedback that they received from players who happened to also be like botanists. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> and they're like. This isn't how it works at all. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but... Yeah, these are magic plants. Yeah, they're magic plants. Right, right, right. Suspend your disbelief, please. (laughs) Of course, as a learning experience designer, you could imagine a game like this to actually teach botany. Oh, for sure. But, like, you always are dealing with some level of abstraction. Yeah, exactly. So um, the question is always what level of... If you're trying to elicit, like, some kind of real... You know what? Yeah. There's a lot more to talk about there, mm-hmm. but I want to talk about small life. Yes, and that's, oh. that's the name of it, right? Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Uh, is, it, yeah. is it like Tiny City or what's the name? No, no, I'm pretty sure it's Small Life. Right? Small small we, will, we will correct ourselves in the show. This was an IGF people. finalist for best student game. Yes, yeah, and it was really cute. And Steven, oh. I, I started playing this, and I'm like, I, the art style I think really draws you in. Mm-hmm. Um, it really very much up my alley. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a, it's a, it's sort of point and click. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a casual Where's Waldo. Yep. Uh, oh. in, in a way. Good way with that. some some interaction mechanics and you, you achieve some goals in each of these stages um and i was i was like i'm a little frustrated by this because it's mostly just clicking everything yeah and i'm like you know that's actually kind of fine yeah but then you got behind it and it, with your sort of like competitive drive <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I was thinking it would you wouldn't like it because i was thinking like well the, the systems aren't clear enough it doesn't fe- feel as much like a fair game, and terms, you, but you really liked it. Well, okay, so ultimately, all of those complaints you had, and as you were watching it, and as I was playing it, I yeah. agreed with all those because mm-hmm. it was you do kind of just like randomly click and yeah. just kind of randomly happen. But it ate your time. You it, got into it anyway. Yeah, I, I, I like changed my mindset from like being like, "Oh, this game is." I was gonna say this game is fair, which isn't. It's not in. <laughs> I'm not trying to be mean about it. Um, it. I, I guess I just changed my mindset to think of it as like. I'll just click random things and then stuff will happen at some point. Yeah. Um. And so once I did that, then I just like, uh, you know, click random things and stuff happened. And yeah. it was fun when things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I liked it. Yeah. Um, There's a little bit of a, um, de- a surprise and delight. Yeah. Because as you're clicking around, then a, a 
eventually something happens and it's mm -hmm. it's not a result of your deduction yeah. which uh -huh. is a criticism of the game mm -hmm. but it provides a different feeling which is pretty cool yeah yeah exactly yeah, exactly. So, yeah that was i'm cool. imagining things like oh i wish this this could be a bigger game with which much more puzzle like mechanics mm -hmm. and still be casual and so i i'm imagining it like the way i would judge a jam game ah, where i'm yeah. like what's the potential here right but i don't think that's necessarily fair because it is a student mm -hmm. game so yeah. that, i'm thinking of it in those terms but um but as it is, it it surprised me too with what it delivers, yeah. it, um, because of those uh, flaws. Yeah. Um. It, it, you could you could make a case that it's worth it in that mm -hmm. in a sense. Yeah. It and fun. it's very engrossing. Yeah. It's fun. Kind of reminds me of like, this has never happened to me in real life, but I really wish at some point it did. But the closest experience I can think of this is playing Small Life, um, and that's like going into a room that's just full of buttons and you don't know what they do. Mm. And yeah. Like, what does this button do? Yep. <laughs> Press you know like you're yeah. pressing everything you're like ooh, what does this happen you know and then suddenly something happens uh alan you've got a, a couple of things in this list oh boy i do yeah um so i played a couple i did a lot of demos last week and i was able to record a few conversations but some of them didn't turn out and some of them yeah the audio wasn't great um anyway one of the games that i played was called puzzles for clef uh -huh. and clef is a very cute creature um and puzzles for clef is kind of like it's like metroid metroidvania sort of but there's no there are no enemies so it kind of reminds me of new like a little bit that. yeah like and you're using musical abilities to interact with parts of the environment and to discover puzzles and stuff like that and um it was adorable the thing that initially drove me like piqued my interest was um just on the trailer there was like this mechanical dragon i'm like okay i gotta see what this is about <laughs> I did see the mechanical dragon and That's it nice. was absolutely lived up to my expectations nice uh, good but yeah it was really um really good movement and like felt really satisfying mm -hmm. um so i'm I, yeah i want to play that too i want to play all the games but yeah that was another one and then um this was from a different group but uh yeah they were um as a publisher it was coming out with a couple different games one north guard which is like a i think it's got 4x elements mm -hmm. and they also have dune spice wars um and Dune Spice Wars was what was really interesting to me. Okay, being a fan. Yeah. Can you say that again slower? Dune Spice Wars. Thank you. Dune. Is it, is it because I thought it was Doom early? Yeah. Spice so Wars. I figured somebody is driving along in their car and thinking about Doom now, and no. I wanted yeah. to make sure. No. No Dune with sands. Dune like yeah. the recent movie. Yes. Although yeah, because I was thinking maybe it was Doom Spice Wars, where you do some genetic engineering oh. on the mo the moon. <laughs> Amazingly, that's I can see that being a spin-off. That could be a yeah. thing, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. Great. But uh, it's it's not a license for the film. It's for the original yes. IP, right? So yeah, it has its yeah. own aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Wait, the okay. original what? Like the book. The, the book. Books, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Original IP, yeah, the book. Okay, I just wanted to make sure it wasn't the original movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. With Stink. No movies. <laughs> It's a uh, yeah. They're they're leaving close to the books, and they explain that a little bit. But uh, it looks it looks pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not a, I have dabbled now in 4x thanks to steven mostly <laughs> um but it's not yeah it's not the genre that i regularly turn to so i'm you know but i'll keep trying it out because i like trying lots of different things mm -hmm. and so I'm, I'm looking forward to it and i just really like the um i really like the franchise and i really like the ip so um i want to give those harkonnens what for <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude because dune is a political drama it, it it lends itself to board games. Yeah. Um. There's a there's a it's a computer game, but it's like an RTX kind of four X E thing. I don't know. Uh, Dune Two, is what it's called. Oh. Like a famous like uh, Dune with the U. 
Yeah. Not Doom 2. That's something else, right? <laughs> That's another sequel, yeah. Yes, okay, fair point. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there have been a couple of notable Dune games. Yeah. Um, because it does seem like an IP that's appropriate for gameplay mm-hmm. in a way that others aren't necessarily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark, we saw this this game table. Yes, uh, you and I were walking the expo floor, and yep. we we got into a long conversation with the inventor, mm-hmm. um, the and and um, uh, and proprietor, you'd say, of this company that makes um, uh, little tables that have little giant Android tablets in them that are meant to run board games. Yeah. And this is a, a genre of device. There's a couple of different competitors in this space. Yep. And actually, one of the things we, when we were talking to, to this guy, he actually was, I think he had been tired from talking to people all day and from dealing with like, but like he was talking about the struggles that the business is having of like presenting its use case. Yeah, he and, was really open about a lot of this, I, which was, I appreciated. Yeah, and he didn't really know our, what we were there for. So yeah. it, was, it was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um. I think he was just like he just had a he was just having a, t- a day. Yeah. Um. But but he did present it well. But I think he was having some difficulty. Like, how do I like if, I, if we we part they have a partnership with Hasbro. I think so. Yep. They have a couple uh-huh. of licensed games. Like, yeah. Sorry and, and et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But um. But you know you could make this like is this a, a thing you play Android like mobile game like, like casual games on do you play Angry Birds on this mm-hmm. or is it just for board games is it for is it for two, two people is it for when you have a party night like what's the positioning marketing positioning and i think that's the struggle they were having yeah but uh, but the reason that i wanted to talk to him because i was thinking like oh this is actually something that i would like to develop for mm-hmm. and i was thinking of mm-hmm. uh, glom because uh, we've talked about a digital version of Glom yeah. someday, yeah. right? None of us have time for it, but it's something we've thought about mm-hmm. and it wouldn't be that hard to do. And I always thought of it as more of a tablet game than a, a, a phone game, right. even though it would work fine either way because you just put the tablet on the table and you just have your cards and you keep, it would be uh, simple to I use. I always interact. thought of it as a TV game. Oh yeah, like a, also, Chromecast also work, yeah. to your TV. Mm-hmm. Um, but this offered an environment that I thought Glom as a digital game would fare pretty well in. Yeah, totally. and so we talked to him a little bit about how, like, what's their licensing model? Do they, when you buy the table, does it ship with a bunch of games? And do they, how do they get those? What's the licensing arrangement for that? Mm-hmm. They're gonna have an app store, um, and the, some of those details are undefined yet. But it was a really interesting conversation, and I, I it was definitely worth talking to this guy about because yeah. it's like, I don't know when digital Glom is gonna happen, but like, I feel like that would be a good platform for it. Um, even though, like, I don't know. I mean, is it a thing that people need? You know, like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. But I just as a developer, it seems exciting to make stuff for. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. I was curious about that too. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see. We'll have to keep in touch. Yeah. Patreon. Uh huh. We've got it. Yes. You and want it. You want it. Patreon.com/slash Nice Games Club. Uh, you can get. Actually, you know, we have these interviews. You know, we have a lot of content, right? Yeah. Um, and we are, there's too much content for this particular episode. What? Yeah, we, we, I mean. <laughs> you we, guys talk a lot? We talk a lot, yes. We talked a lot, a lot at GDC. <laughs> we filled a lot of this episode just talking about the things we don't have interviews for. Right. Which, yes. uh, just to show how much we have. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 you know, if you check out our Patreon and you are a patron of the show, you get the full interview. Uncut. Okay. Uncut. Yeah, uncut. Let, That's a good let, way to describe it. Is it un- <laughs> Um Yeah, so check us out at uh, patreon.com slash club and listen to the full interviews. Of, uh, of from GDC. Right, and that's only the latest content that's going to be up on the Patreon. Yes. We also, from time to time, put out stuff that just wouldn't 
make sense on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, we played a bunch of our old Nice Games jams recently yeah. Yeah. Uh, and recorded our impressions of that. And that's a five-part series on the Patreon. <laughs> yeah, five-part series. And of well. course, the, the biggest piece of content on the Patreon is a ton of our working sessions from last year when we worked on Roboston. Right. So if you want to hear us uh, in a lengthy format, uh, you know, uh, batting around game design ideas, that is, I think, really valuable. Yeah. And then there's outtakes and bonus segments. We have a whole 200th episode special mm-hmm. uh, bonus segment that's only available on the Patreon. Um, and we don't promise regular content, but when something goes up there, it's definitely worth the however many dollars uh, yeah. you support us with. Yeah. Um, yeah. Patreon.com slash Nice Games Club. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, and then, Ellen, there is a... Row to entertainment. Yeah, so to. I did. Um, it was one of my first first ones I did of the week. So, um, yeah, so Road to Entertainment did a game called Ionia. And I believe it came out last year in 2021. Mm-hmm. It's a VR game and it's another, um, it's a musically oriented, you know, theme in the mechanics and the and also the world, like the way that they put together, like the environments and down to the plants and the vegetation and the critters are all very like music musically inspired yeah um i mean ionia like if you think of ionian is a mode mm-hmm. start on middle c and you play your scale up from there that's ionian if i remember correctly gosh if i'm wrong it's gonna be real dumb but um, <laughs> ellen was once a music major yeah well that'll make me sound even more dumb if i get it wrong <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> you. nice games that club <laughs> feedback <laughs> uh, that's what evil's game club is here for <laughs> there it is there it is yeah, so we had a good conversation and talked about, you know, where they're headed next and mm-hmm. some pretty exciting stuff. 
Uh, so Aeolia is all about climate change. Mm-hmm. It is a completely separate game from Ionia. You could play e- either uh, independent of each other. It's not a continuation of the story, but it's in the same universe. Similar right? soul of it, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Where in our, after working for over 10 years in in uh, uh, everything from music production to live entertainment to documentary creation, We've created this giant story based around what we call music mythology. Yeah. Yeah. We're turning land, music, like musical symbols, everything in music in the land, people, ecosystems, game mechanics, storyline art. One of the things that I found absolutely magical about Ionia was the idea of like the musical landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband and I are both musicians or we have a musical background and so does my family. So it's just like it instantly grabbed me, but it, it ties, it seems to tie together so well, like the visuals and the idea of being in a space. Um, are really tied together. So I'm curious to see, like to hear how that that part of the first game might have been expressed in this new game that you're building. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, it, and it really comes down to the core of, it, of that even bigger story before we ever even knew what VR was. Mm-hmm. Like some of the characters and ideas and concepts and symbols you see in the games were on a live stage show you know, in front of 20,000 people in the Boston Commons, right? Yeah. Or it was uh, in a music video that we did. Uh, so... It's really just uh, keeping this vein. It's like our Star Wars. It's our avatar. Mm-hmm. And it's in a vein of uh, family first, uh, a, a genuine empathy driven content, right? Mm-hmm. Which, uh, which is what we do and what we love and, and, and what we strive for. So in Aeolia, what we kept from Ionia, like you won't see Allegra, you won't see any characters, but you will have hints, right? Like at one point you'll walk up and there'll be a big map of what we call Pangaea, the continent, right? Uh, it, when when all the continents were together and you'll see Ionia, Doria, Phrygia, Lydia, Mixolydia, Aeolia, and Locria. Mm-hmm. And these are modes of music, but they're also our continents. So yeah. that's still in the vein. Um, as well as there's a part of the game where, of course, this one's based in the desert and it, your Aeolia is a, a, a continent that's ravaged by storms, by giant desert storms. And it's just wrecking the, the it's wrecking everything. And it comes from discord, hmm. right? Where uh, harmony and discord, uh, when, uh, um, when in balance, uh, creates a lush and beautiful, healthy landscape. But when uh, discord's used in the wrong way through the wrong modus, uh, mm. and those are our, that's the powers inside the, the world of Rhythm of the Universe, uh, some people can use it for, for not necessarily malicious purposes, but for uh, their personal gain. And it caused Aeolia to be swept by this desert but there are little pockets in one part of our game, there's the oasis. And when you're in the oasis, you start to actually see some of the foliage and musically inspired plant life that you saw in Ionia, mm-hmm. but sparingly. Yeah. Um, so that's where the two stories touch, but could be played completely separate and you would never even know. But mm-hmm. when you play both together, you have those little aha moments. Yeah, like different um, movements. Exactly. Yeah. And, our, and the next game we want to make is Lydia. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be primarily underwater. Uh, it's all about being on the coastline of one of the continents. Um, but the point is, is that'll also tie in. Um, so our our job is unlike, we love story living. You know, we blend this easy play, almost uh, VR experience with gameplay, with, uh, uh, um, you know, with traditional game mechanics. But uh, at the end of the day, we want to make uh, games that just get better, but are separate from each other. Whereas... Vader Immortal, for example, um, you know, you have to play the first one if you want to understand the third one. Yeah. And, and it's fine and great and they're short and they're great when you put them together. Um, 
but I know that my mother had a hard time playing through it. Uh, I know that a lot of people do. A lot of people don't get it. Some people don't want to kill things. Mm -hmm. And in general, um, we want to make it to where someone could play Aeolia and want to be inspired to know more from the studio, play Ionia, have an aha moment, and then realize that now they have, uh, you know, a, a lot of, you know, they have two games that have both supported a nonprofit that support messaging and empathy driven content and also supports a development studio mm -hmm. that wants to just make their team better and make their next title even greater. Yeah, that's really exciting. Yeah. It's a good story all around, not just in the game, but about the studio and like the game's development. And there's a lot of really interesting things to dig into there. Now, to to your point about, hey, your uh, your audience loves to know a little bit about how we make the game. Yeah. Uh, so we're focusing on Oculus Quest hand tracking. Okay. So it's all hands first. Mm. You know, controllers are second schema. Uh, so everything we're doing is based off of, uh, and you can imagine in VR, playing instruments seems natural with hands. Yeah, with right? your hand, for sure. Yeah. So the first thing you do in the demo that I can share share with you if we have time, mm. um, you get up to this giant bard and there's strings going into the universe, five strings and you do sort of a Simon Says and we teach you ear training mm. where she's, uh, you know, uh, the bard will play along and then she'll, pluck those strings for you and you have to then pluck in the same pattern next pattern um you you'll have to hear the last two notes they won't be given to you and by the last pattern uh you'll have to be using your ear training to understand which you know which string so very simple and the only game mechanic is simply this mm -hmm. right but we then learn that that game mechanic, especially with hands, right, is you have to sort of flay your fingers out. The pinch mm. motion is the best motion for hand tracking. So we then program that into the majority of the content. We have a Y-shaped flute, which very similar, allows you to see all hands from the cameras on the Oculus Quest headset. Yeah. And it allows you then akin to the Ocarina in Zelda, you actually, through your environment, see uh, um, uh, melodies that you can play on the Y-shaped flute. And that then gives you everything from double jump to other superpowers to fast travel. And uh, that's a big part of why Aeolia is not just a linear story story game that's an hour and a half like Ionia, but it's a much more full-fledged game mm -hmm. that's well over two hours of gameplay. That's really cool. I love, there's a like an interesting parallel Feel, I feel like there would be psychologically. I'm not sure this is actually true, but I'm just going to spell this hypothesis. Yes, please. The I feel like the um, the pathways involved in ear training and being able to finish a melody when someone's just giving you the first arc. Mm -hmm. It feels kind of like what you need to do emotionally when you're trying to empathize with somebody, right? You're getting part of the melody from them, and you need to make the leap to understand where they're coming from by like singing the last few notes to yourself. That makes sense. You're you're absolutely yeah. spot on. And I'd be happy to share with your listeners if they go to Rotu.com or I can share these articles with you yeah. uh, that they, outside of VR, outside of anything we're doing, there are uh, white papers and research studies on how music drives empathy, mm -hmm. how it drives communication, that learning these simple, this it is a universal language, yeah. right? Especially the music theory aspect and the ear training aspect. It teaches you things that don't apply just to music, but to our lives and the social, you know, the social situations we find ourselves right. in. That was my first interview ever at a GGC, so it was pretty awkward starting oh. up. <laughs> um, fortunately, the um, CEO of Stride PR mm -hmm. was very gracious when I was like, is it your first GDC? He's like, it's my 13th GDC. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll have to ask that question differently next time. <laughs> yeah.
Midnight Protocol. Yeah. Another that, IGF finalist. Uh-huh. It taught me how to be a lead hacker. That's a keyboard sound. Yeah, it's the way that they actually incorporate the hacking. Yeah, it's very... It, it's a very self-aware game. It knows its inspiration and puts you right in there. It was super fun. I can't wait to, you know, beat Kirby so I can play it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my name is Sam Achten, um, and I I'm am Gus the lead developer yeah. of Midnight Protocol. Okay. And I'm Gus, but I'm, uh, I, I say I'm like second fiddle developer on it. You know? Oh, okay. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Is it, so is it just you two who work on the game? From development standpoint, yes, okay. I would say so. Yeah. Okay. It's basically a cooperation between two companies, Mind Lugus Studios, and some kind of you know independent. Oh. Um, he used to work at Lugus. Now he went to, to a different job, but he had an idea, so he came back, and then you know now we're working on it together. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. Yeah. So like, you, one of you owns one of the companies, and you're like collaborating it. Yeah. Well, I don't own the company, but I am with the company. Some is kind of his own company and yeah. his own. Uh, He's his own game development studio. Oh, sure. I, you know, that's, that's actually kind of familiar to... I, make, I, I had worked on a, an indie game called Vengeance, and I worked oh. on that with my brother. My brother has his own company. Oh, yeah, um, and so, go. like, his name was, <laughs> like, on the, in, exactly. on the title and stuff. Yeah, that's no, awesome. I get that. It's kind yeah, of like that. Yeah it's, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, like, complicated, but also not complicated. I know, the, the only thing, thing that's different is he's not related, so... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, thank cool, God. Cool. <laughs> so, so we're, we're expert hackers in this game, yes? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, okay. basically. So essentially, the setup is, uh, you know, you're uh, a badass hacker. You went to jail for a while because somebody leaked your identity. And now you're out and you're, you know, trying to figure out basically who backstabbed you. Oh. That's the setup for the beginning of the game. How good a hacker can we be if we got hacked? Uh, that's a very, that's a very <laughs> that's a good, good and very, you know, pointing question. So, oh. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Ellen. <laughs> Ellen's just mashing keys. No, Wait, I'm not. Do it, do it more. I want that stroke. I. You just discovered everybody's favorite feature of the game. It's seriously amazing. Oh, you just mash keys and yes. things happen. Oh, I'll tell you, my favorite feature of the game is that, well, you can type whatever you want, but we also like, yeah, uh, it, there's it, like backspace, in, 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 so you kind of see the character kind of walking back on their own. I saw word. that. Yeah, yeah. So, oh. that's pretty cool. From a writing standpoint, that was very interesting. Yeah, you could do a lot of things with so that. So you literally can be like the character in the movies that goes tick 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 tick. I'm yeah. in. Yeah. Okay, exactly. that's we, pretty great. We, we always joke that like the keyboard's kind of like part of the soundtrack of the game, yes. <laughs> to, the, to the point that we put more keyboard sounds in the game just to get more <laughs> of that clickety clackety feeling. You know? That's great. Okay. Um, I really liked how you set that up, though, because you didn't, you probably didn't see this happening. I didn't, yeah. Steven, but, like, it asked you to input your name, right? Uh -huh. And so initially I started typing in whatever I wanted my username to be, like, do you want to be Link or do you want to be Scooby-Doo? Yeah. Like, and so I was typing in a username, but it typed data. Uh -huh. So, like, the very first thing you're doing in the game is that mechanic, and that was really cool because I didn't understand the implications of that uh -huh. until right. this moment, and that was when it clicked, and that was really cool. We really love, like, we're kind of cruel in that we love seeing people like, wait a minute, and then they try to backspace and it doesn't work. And and yeah. It kind of gets you further, yeah. actually. That's yeah. clever. It was really cool. That's really clever. Yeah. So that's the main conceit of the game, but I, so I'm curious now to see how that's used. Yeah, yeah. So basically two layers to the game, right? Okay. So we have this, which is like a fictional operating system, okay. which you use to interact with the story of the game, right? Uh, right. So it's, you, you send emails to characters, uh, you get emails from characters. We also have like, but it's 
basically locked right now. We have like a, our own search engine where you can look things up. Okay. And you can determine what kind of hardware or programs you want to bring to missions. Right? Oh, gotcha. Okay. Uh, I, I assume that stuff, you know, helps yeah. with the success of the missions over time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the most important part there is that we want a lateral design, right? So you don't get like a sword and then you get a better sword and a better sword. No, we want to give you like, okay, here's a sword, but maybe here's like a spear and an axe a bit different to the sword with gotcha. advantages and disadvantages. So, yeah. okay. uh, cater to different play styles and not like power creep. Cool. Uh, okay. And then now you'll see like the second part of uh, the game, Ooh. which is how the networks work, the actual hacking gameplay. It's so cool. The UI is really clean yeah. so far. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It's basically UI in the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So coming here, I was kind of scared about you know having all these game developers as our audience, but we I oh. kind of figured out they're the best people to have play your game because yeah. they actually read your. It's really cool. Just, <laughs> it's really cool to demo your game to like game developers. Yeah. So, like they understand games and they're just like, oh, I want to play this, and they, they know you know. Where you're looking at your, your, in a way, it's less diverse and also more diverse. Well, they, they, yeah. like I, I've noticed that game developers give you more pointed feedback because yeah. they have experience themselves, right. and they also know that like you're not going to use all the you know the issues that yeah, the yeah. person has. So, I think the other thing that's fun about having like developers play test your game is because they also understand how difficult it can be to yeah. make a game. Yeah. Right. So like they're on your side. You know? Yeah. 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 And the stuff you kind of, you can leave some stuff up to the imagination if the game's in development, they kind of see what yeah, it's going yeah. to be. Yeah, yeah. They under, they're not like, it's broken, I can't do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of sucks to constantly have to do that thing like, okay, this doesn't work, but like picture it does. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm curious, um, like the morality system that you guys set up, I looked at, I took a peek at that. Oh. Like white hat, gray hat, black yeah. hat. That's, that seems pretty cool. Yeah, uh, we don't want it to be good and bad. We want yeah. it to be more like, chaotic and lawful you know what i mean like more sure. like in a different, yeah, yeah. different axis of, uh, you know that's really interesting because like having played a lot of D, &D i'm used to the the axis of like alignment working on those two different yeah, yeah, yeah. but you al almost never in games you explore the chaotic versus no. lawful yeah. dichotomy it's always like the good versus evil or right whatever. yeah which that's honestly cool. that to me is the more interesting one of the two but yeah. i think so too yeah yeah we have a pretty long tutorial. <laughs> yeah, no worries. It's, you know, it's a fun tutorial. The, the thing is, like, it's a game like this, the onboarding is kind of important. Because, like, absolutely. if you get, like, one thing wrong and it just gets in your head, then it's really hard to get rid of that. Yeah. So yeah. we really had to iterate over that a lot. Yeah, well, you want to know, you want to be able to know all of your options right away. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to overburden your player straight away. So it's really like, just get, you know, some yeah. of the basics, you yes. know. As you get further into the game, you don't constantly get, you know, decks anymore. But, yeah, you have to do it one way or another. Yeah. What was the process of developing that onboarding like? Oh man, painful. <laughs> painful. painful. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, I hope a lot of playtesting. Yeah, like yeah, tons of iterations. Okay. Yeah, like you know what? And what still bothers me about this is that I think we have a lot of cool visual effects in the game, and we have a lot of cool levels. Like uh, I'll, I'll, sh I'll show you after this. Like we have we have some really cool stuff. Mm -hmm. Tutorial. It's visually very boring to me. Oh, <laughs> you know I see. I mean? yeah. Like most games usually start nowadays, like with like a big set piece. Right. Even though the controls are very simple, they start with a big set piece, but easy. And we tried doing that for this game, but it just fell. It just it didn't work. It kind of distracted from learning the mechanics. Yeah, okay. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Ellen, how are you feeling um, playing the game so far? Um, it's really fun. Like, okay. Yeah, I'm having a really good time, and there's enough of the story already that I'm definitely feel a sense of tension like um the character that i'm in inhabiting i guess is uh 
maybe pushing it a little bit. Oh. Which is interesting because I tend to take like narrative games a little bit more slowly because I like to experience everything. And I know there's a difference between the narrative and then like what the player or the character's actions are. But like it it kind of creates like a good taste of risk. I think that's important for kind of, you know, I guess building engagement and like investing in the story. So I think it's pretty cool. Woo. Yeah, A plus. You're acing this tutorial. <laughs> <laughs> Good teachers. <laughs> yeah, this is really fun. So we played a sequel or follow-up. What was this one? We we didn't play it. We just interviewed with the person. Oh, okay. Um, um, um. But yes, uh, twenty sixty-four Red Only Memories. Um, the sequel or pseudo sequel, spiritual successor. There, there's like. There's so I'm not the, the only confused. <laughs> well, we go into it in the interview, but like there, there, there are characters from the original game. Uh, that are coming into this new one called Neurodiver, um, and, it, and it was really a fascinating interview. We talked about like the like the technology that they're trying to sort of emulate um, in this game, mm -hmm. um, which you know you I think you would appreciate, Mark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I mean, also like all of the 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 you know why why they were making a sequel and stuff. Dale was in it and had very good questions. So my name is Cade Peterson, and I'm. I run a little indie game studio called Midbox, and our newest uh, game that we're working on is called Read Only Memories Neurodiver. And it's the second in the Read Only Memories franchise we have, and it should be coming out later this year. Cool, that's exciting. Um, I, 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 haven't, I haven't played the, the first uh, Read Only Memories uh, myself, but uh, my brother, I watched my brother play some of it, and like he was oh, really. Great. Yeah. Sorry. It's great when you have other resources. Yes. It's great when you have other resources. Um, and I watched my brother play, and I, I, I found the, the narrative quite fascinating. Can you um, tell me a little bit about what has changed between you know the first game and this new game? Yeah. So the new game is it's in the same world. We okay. don't we we call it we call it a sequel not exactly a sequel because it's not a direct story continuation to be like a standard sequel sure but it's a new story set in the same world the neo san francisco 2060s 2070s yeah yeah um and we've brought back some of the like the beloved first cast from the first one um oh. and the main differences are from the old game to the new game um we, it's a lot but it's also keeping the same uh, spirit and vibe. So, for example, in the first game, you're put into this game and you're playing the part of yourself. You don't see who yourself, but they actually, the game asks you eventually, like, what your pronouns are, do you have any food preferences, allergies, do you drink alcohol or not, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you, it can get a really nice way to. So, Turing, the little robot that becomes kind of like your guide throughout the whole game, right. yeah. uh, will. We'll, um, and I remember use all this information from yeah. the first game. Yeah. We'll use all that information to help you navigate the world in a way okay. that's like dialed in. But it's you. It's a first-person experience. Right. Okay. This new one, you play the part of a character named ES88. Her real name is Luna, but you know it's a third-person thing that you're playing as her this time around. Oh. So that's one little tweak. Okay. Sure. Um, other changes are, so the whole franchise is kind of a love story to like late '80s and early '90s Japanese art, uh, adventure games. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This one still is, but we took the art style and uh, we still kept it within a particular color palette and pixel dimension ratio. Okay. But gave it a new flourish to the color palette and 
all that. So it's like, it'll feel same vibe, but like fresher, newer, brighter, prettier. Um, and then the music. So this time around, we got with a composer that specifically is experienced making this, what's called FM synth sound. And that is specifically sounds that came out of a particular microchip that was common ah. in computers and PC-88 machines back in the late 80s and early oh. 90s where these games came from. So That's even the so sound, cool. yeah. Was that, the, was that the case in the first game as well or is it just a, no. this new one? We okay. had a different composer that yeah. was like a, you know, very talented, but not dialed into this particular sound. Sure. And sure. this is like a unique, new, fresh update. Yeah. Um, and then of course the new game will have fully voiced. Okay. And we brought back uh, most of the cast that was in, you know, that have reprising roles. Mm -hmm. And uh, oh, also this time around, we're not just voicing, doing fully voiced in English, but also Japanese for the oh. first time. Because we localized the last game text to Japanese also, yeah. but this time around we're going the extra 200 miles <laughs> to do voiceover in Japanese okay. fully um, because the voice acting is like one of the most uh, awesome parts of the first game, I think. I so. remember, so if I'm, if, if I'm not mistaken, the first game initially... Yeah, go for it. Uh, I, if I remember correctly, the first game did not initially have voice acting, but that was added in and adopted, right? Like a, yeah, so the first game was, um, it was released one platform at a time, nice and slow. Uh -huh. They added the voice after it was released on all platforms. So like the first game's claim to fame in terms of release was it was an Ouya oh. launch title. Ah. It was it? Uh, Ouya uh, keeps coming up at GDC this year, I've noticed. It's like that, yeah, Croydon, it's this weird anomaly. Is it not just a Mark LaCroix thing? <laughs> no, it's everyone's saying. Yeah, 2064 Read Only Memories was a launch title for Ouya. I did not know that. Okay. And then, you know, worked with you know Steam and PC, and then yeah. worked with uh, PlayStation, PS4, PS Vita, Xbox, and then last was Switch. Okay. Oh, and somewhere in the middle there was Android and iOS, so it's, sure, not, sure. it's like on all the things. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was also on the Engage. Wow. Like, they went every po possible platform. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't all at once. It was all, like, slowly piecemeal. And then they later added the voice, and that was, like, a beautiful, like, major addition. Yeah, cool. And it was so good that, like, two of the characters actually won awards for the voice work oh, in the wow. first game. Okay. So, clearly, they chose some good ones. Yeah, that's um, cool. Okay. Can you talk a little bit about adding voiceover after the fact and then also what difficulties you're having with getting Japanese voiceover and the process there? So we haven't started the Japanese voiceover there, but our publisher um, that is handling Japan uh -huh. is has experience doing Japanese voiceover and so we're going to be working with them. They're going to be helping us get the cast, do the do the casting calls and helping select the voices. Our creative director speaks a little Japanese and our other tech director does also. And so between those two, plus the creative like direction that the our creative director wants, he kind of knows the sounds of the voices he wants. Okay. Um, but we'll be relying with our publisher to help us navigate that bit. Um, and then your other question was adding voice later to 264 and all that. So that was before my time at Midbox, but I do know from talking to everybody, um, the tr well, this adds on to the problem of releasing a game like iteratively from platform to platform because yeah. the code base had been split into multiple versions multiple times. Right. And so they had to go back and 
add this to all the different versions and then re-release it on all the platforms. So that was the that was the tricky part. And when you release a game all at once, then the main core code base before you port it is one versus like seven. Right, right, right. And so we're doing this better knowing that we're going to do voice from the get-go rather than add it on later as like a nice enhancement. What engine um, do you use to develop the game in? Unity. Oh, you did use it in Unity. Okay, but the, yeah. So but the you first game, a lot of things. Oh, so you changed the code for each platform. And instead of using like the, the hashtag ifs or whatever. We had several developers touch the game over the years. Ah, okay. And it just became a hot mess express a okay. little bit. I know how that is. <laughs> Like I said, that was before my time, but okay. I did have to put together all the pieces and be like, why do we have like all these Git splits? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but whenever we want to touch 2064 in the future, the most recent one that we created the Switch version for, yeah, um, which does have extra content by itself, the only platform. And when I say extra content, we just baked in the art book in the game itself so you can access it through the thing. As well as a like, jukebox to listen to the full music yeah uh, so that's the main code base that they were going to do because we read uh, when we signed with our newer publisher that's managing Japan they were like we want to sell this game 2064 physically in big box stores in Japan and we're like absolutely so um, we grabbed the switch build and we quickly got that through Nintendo approvals and started selling it in Japan so because we really wanted it to be in like all the Yodabashi cameras and all yeah. the super potato that's great uh, and it's been selling really well even though it's like a five year old no, seven year old game I can't do math right now I know it's that's difficult. okay neither can we yeah it's true especially when it involves a calendar especially when it involves a calendar it's, I know it's difficult to publish on in, in, in Japan so like yeah and yeah. there but our publisher we chose a good one yeah and they're great. So, of course, with the new game coming, we're already, like, we should finish the new Neurodiver game in about two months. Okay. But release will probably not be till fall sometime because got to do the lot checks, add the Japanese voiceover, oh, yeah, make sure yeah, it's yeah. all QA'd, and then go into production to physically produce the game to sell in big box stores. But this time around, it's going to be sold in all the big box stores in Europe, North America, and Japan mm. on multiple platforms. So, wow. Luckily, we've been through this once before, so this bigger project is it's just more work, but all that stuff, because it's physical stuff, producing and inventory and shipping, and it takes time. You're experienced at it, though, at this point. Yeah, okay. and our publisher has got a lot more experience, so um, we're just working tightly with them to make sure that everything lands on time, and yeah. Cool, cool. Can you talk a little bit about developing a sequel that isn't quite a direct sequel? And the process for for thinking about story and things along like and how those decisions were made. I think the way that we approached it is that we wanted to step back and make sure that we had the right intention because that would drive all other decisions after that. So our intention this time was to make sure that we told a new excellent story, even though it was an encapsulated separate story from the first one. But we also had to experience telling a new read-only memory story after the first game because um, we worked, in the last two years, we worked with the big comic book publisher called IDW to create and release a read-only memories comic book, telling a brand new story set in the same world but not a sequel story. Right. But it does have some of the same characters. Um, and so we got experience, you know, telling a new story 
that was separate but in the same world mm-hmm. and in this new game so we approached it with the same way good intention to tell just mainly tell excellent stories that were interesting made people the players feel intent you know happy sad scared fear happy you know um, and then just go from there there was previously a an idea to create a true sequel to 2064 like previously project named 2065 <laughs> but but we didn't feel like that particular story path was going to be as strong or interesting okay and so we wanted to just put that aside for now and then tell a really powerful new cool story the main feedback we got from the first game was there was a couple things first of all um it was very verbose oh okay and so one of the things we took this time around was we told the writers like make it snappier make sure it's more like written like it's a game versus more like it's like a scripts yeah sure yeah. and make it tighter more concise make it fun and have personality and all that stuff but just like make it more you know tight I guess yeah, sure. um, yeah. the other thing is so the first game was more of like the old Sierra King's Quest where there was like a hand option and an eyeball and you could look at things and you touch things um this time around it's much simpler, so you can like roll over objects that are interactable and you can <laughs> click on it. It's like a one click and it'll just like have a narrator that'll explain, oh, this this is the lobby of Minerva. You know, you see this over here. Um, versus we simplified it, make sure it's easy, easier. Also, in the first game there's a bunch of different little mini games, like various different ones throughout the whole story. We simplified that so all the game mechanics themselves are the same mind diving the neuro diving puzzle solving uh much more straightforward and i think once people get what they're how they do it then they'll be able to do it easier we didn't want to create we wanted to make sure people got through the story and they really enjoyed the whole time without hitting walls of frustration because that's not the goal here this is not a skill-based franchise yeah you know yeah i mean it's got some (laughs) skills but it's not designed to be a hurdle that you might not get over yeah yeah Um, we want people to get to the end of the story and love it so just took all the main feedback from the first one and brought it to the second one we also chopped down the overall length of the game so the first one was like 15 plus hours and that's a lot for like a very uh, verbose text heavy story oh, yeah. and even though the first one we added voice later which really helps get you through it uh-huh. it's a lot of words you know? so we purposely chopped down the total word count told the writers to be more tight and concise <laughs> it's still lengthy enough but not nearly that long I mean so, I imagine that also makes it easier to yeah. create you know voiceovers like, there's less script yeah, yeah if there's less words it's less cost to localized to do languages it's less cost to do the voiceover recording it, you know it does save money but that wasn't the goal we just wanted sure. to make the overall experience uh, better based on the feedback awesome. Stephen you Dale and I went to the uh, yearly uh, playtest event and we talked about yes. that event on the previous episode we uh, did part one of our GDC special mm-hmm. but we interviewed a bunch of devs and we've got those coming up right uh, tell me about them yes 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 so the the first uh well one of the devs we interviewed was uh a, a, f- a couple of people from peru um which was you know which was really cool we actually um the the, the ceo of the uh, future club uh, you know where i work um is is a peruvian um so like i thought it was really fascinating to ask these 
these two people about their games and their inspirations. Uh, the two games were Cusco Paradox and I Epic. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry if not. Um, they'll, they'll say it in the interview. <laughs> that's true. They say it in the interview. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was really cool. Like, it was really cool seeing their journey. They, you know, they're part of the, the Peru scene, um, game dev scene there. Um, and... Yeah, they got a scholarship to go to GDC. Exactly. Okay. And that that's an interesting yeah. story, mm-hmm. at, like this two-step process and the institutions that support that. Right. And the fact that these two developers met at this program and became like best pals. Yeah. And then when we asked them if they wanted to join us to talk, they're like, can we do it together? Because we've become best pals. Yeah. Working on different projects, it's, I I love these folks. And we actually do kind of hope to get them back on the show. But in the meantime, you can hear them now. Game dev friend meet cute. Friends from back home, right? Not like you just met here. I mean, we, we met, met, we we met, met two weeks, two weeks ago. Oh, like oh. two weeks. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, because we won, we won a contest, uh, like a contest in Peru that mm-hmm. took you the whole like entrance. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, interesting. Yes, yeah. and then we became friends. Oh, that's great. That's cool. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, the thing is that we didn't, we we not only won one scholarship, we won two. Oh, <laughs> yes. okay, gotcha. yes. like, yeah. the, like the first one was just to have the all access uh, pass, mm-hmm. yeah. and that uh, that was uh, because of the uh, CBA and IGDA in in Peru. Mm-hmm. Oh, awesome. ah, okay. yes, yeah. yes, and and the other one was because of one of a big game studio which mm-hmm. wanted to create a scholarship, so the people who won this one may also come here because it's pretty expensive, especially yeah, if you're winning with the solid, which is our, our currency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, they gave us a fund, like the, the plane ticket. Yes, exactly. The and hotel. Exactly. And all, the, all the things. Oh, nice. So yeah. we won, yeah, we won the two of them. You have like, you had like a big form. We have mm-hmm. to feel like, what are you mm-hmm. going to do here? Why you think you're the person who will come, so will come here and mm-hmm. all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And we kind of got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, congratulations. Thank, Thank you. you. And then you met each other. Uh, yeah, yes. as fellow winners and now your pals. Yep. Yes, now yeah. we're friends. So <laughs> there were just two winners. You are the two winners. No, no. there were like uh, eight winners. Mm-hmm. There are some who yes. only has the access, and mm-hmm. some of some of them only have the funds, and we have both. Right. Yeah, but <laughs> most of us have both. Most right, right. Yes. So there's more people involved, but you guys are the best friends. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, tell us about your games. Yeah. Yeah, sure. You can start. Okay. So, Ayapike was born in this game jam called Cultural Heritage Game Jam. Mm-hmm. And it has the scope of uh, embrace Peruvian culture. Uh, well, it's not, when you say Peruvian, um, all, all the people thinking Incas. Mm-hmm. But this game is related to another culture that was way before Incas. Oh. That was called Mochicas. Oh, so okay. this is a like a not well known culture that I want to express to the whole world. Um, with my art and my development, I create Ayapaek. So this is the objective of this game uh, that I want to mm-hmm. to get funds. I don't know. <laughs> We're all um, looking for it. I get that. And yeah. get the <laughs> and get the whole development yeah. and create a, a mm-hmm. fine ass product to the to the market. Mm-hmm. That's Ayapaek. Yeah. Uh, I found a base. Okay. With a lot of uh, mochica drawings, okay, and oh. um, it tells a story like a like a comic book, mm-hmm. and I was so amused about this story because it was like finding an an old comic that no one knows. Yeah, and yeah. it was for me my 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 hero those weeks. Oh, well, uh, until now. 
So I, this is like a, my, my tribute to, to this story and my culture that yeah. I want to express to the world. Mm -hmm. Cool, that's awesome. So, that's thanks. Well, you, so you have the normal pressures of any game developer like, mm -hmm. to make sure that it plays well, that it looks good, that yeah. it's going to find its audience. Yeah. But you put on yourself this bigger weight of responsibility yeah. because uh, the, the, this culture, as you say, is so underrepresented yeah. elsewhere that you're, you will be many people's first encounter with that. Exactly. So I get the support from one of the most important museums on, on Peru mm -hmm. that was called Museo Larco. So I get the whole knowledge and all the exactly data to present so I don't get misread the culture mm -hmm. so I can present it to the world uh, correctly. Mm -hmm. So yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of weight, but yeah. I want to express the more fun I, I, I can do it. Yeah. yeah. So is, uh, you said that's priority one. Yeah. So how much, um, how much of you, have you put enough of, uh, or much of yourself in there as well? Or are you taking a back seat to this as a larger concept? No, I, I think uh, when you see the art, you can see uh, there's a lot of me and, and the culture itself. Yeah, there's both parts coexisting the same in the same space. I think there's a lot of the culture and me in this game that I can easily say that this is my product and this is the culture represented yeah. too. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Cool. Awesome. Thanks. Daniela. Yeah, sure. So well, you haven't seen the game yet, but you will. <laughs> So I did something related to the Incas, but mm -hmm. what I wanted to is to say something, um, try to fight the homophobia in Peru mm -hmm. because it's very intense ah, in, in yeah. Peru. And you can see very, like a lot of Latin American countries, mm -hmm. but in Peru it's very intense, particularly in the Peruvian Andes, mm -hmm. which is like the, the main uh, geographical location of the Incas. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to fight homophobia there. So we created a game using aspects of sexual diversity that you can find in the in the Incas culture. Oh. So I had to do a lot of research. Yeah. And then I found like one, two, three, four, five characters and very, very little about the, what happened about sexual diversity because the Spanish people, when they came, they kind of came with the church and they erased yes. pretty much yeah. everything. Right. And you can find like, I read like 10 books to try to say, okay, so there's this little line in this one <laughs> book that says something about this character, yeah. but they were, there was information enough mm -hmm. for me to create a story. Okay. Yes, so yeah. I built a puzzle narrative ink and LGBT game. Mm -hmm. yeah. And here it's about the story of Tutu and Atok. These are the two boyfriends and in the story, they break up. And mm -hmm. they and one of the uh, one of the guys wants to know why they why they break up what's going on, because the other he was so sad that he made a contract with the demon to forget everything. Mm -hmm. Oh wow! Yeah. And when he made a contract with the demon, the thing is that the world turns around everything, mm -hmm. and they go to the Ucupacha, which is the Incas underworld, which, mm -hmm. which is also present in many different uh, Peruvian cultures. So mm -hmm. the, the Ucupacha is yeah. usually the underworld of many of mm -hmm. many cultures. Mm -hmm. And here you need to like create your own path. Because this is a puzzle game, you mm -hmm. create your path. And when you create the path, you remember little by little what happened. Oh, it's very clever. With your, with your relationship. And also, the characters that appear are these characters that are from this little information that I found. So you will learn about sexual diversity in the Incas, like Cosmovision. What, yeah. what I really like about that is, like you say, you, you want to find that, that element of representation that is real. Yes. And but you're you're also using uh, um, cultural touchstones that are familiar that will be familiar to some of your audience. Yes. So that's that's those people may not know that those things are connected, mm -hmm. right? Oh, yeah, exactly. and, but they'll have a way in. So it won't be you know because I think people it's because you're challenging people. 
Yeah, right? a little bit. But but you're you're telling them not just here's this whole new alien thing for you <laughs> to understand. It's to say this is something that 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 you can find a connection to. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a brilliant way in. I love that. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, we also know we're gonna like piss a lot of people during this because in in the Peruvian Andes, the idea of the Incas are like this super strong, big, like macho man. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the idea of like a, a gay really like a gay relationship mm -hmm. is just like crazy for for a lot of people. Yeah. So we said, okay, if we wanna like fight something, let, mm -hmm. let's let's do it. <laughs> so we we did it and we created the demo. We got a, a, a first small like investor mm -hmm. and we make the demo in six weeks and now we're looking for more investing to like make the bigger demo okay. or the bigger game yeah, yeah. So. is that the case for both of you you've got a like a good solid demo and you're looking for that like next level up yeah yes I exactly think. yeah mm -hmm. and how's that process going i mean it's only day two of this day two but it's been crazy yeah. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I mean i've been in the, in san francisco before but i've never been in the gdc before yeah. I mean, oh, it's sure. crazy it's, yeah. it's a big amount of people, yeah. people most important key issue in development is that many developers doesn't know how to plan or schedule mm -hmm. so they don't have a proper scope to the to their project yes yeah. yes mm -hmm. uh, praise be to the producers yeah right? <laughs> the project yeah. managers yeah, yeah. i love project management yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah when you're yeah. like starting something I, I for example i work like i don't know 300 hours a week mm -hmm. because I'm doing like the project manager, manager, mm -hmm. manager thing and I'm trying to get money and then I'm writing the story and I'm drawing and yeah. I'm doing <laughs> things which I love but I will need like 10,000 more hours yeah <laughs> yep yep can I ask you another more personal question mm -hmm. sure, sure. So, both from Peru so you're not native English speakers mm -hmm. no. how has speaking in English almost all these you know all this time been for you <laughs> Because, like, we're finding it exhausting just talking to people. <laughs> you don't have to speak in a second language. I don't know. Uh, it, it's weird because the way I learned English was not, like, in classrooms. I mean, I did learn English in the classroom. Me too, but, me too. But the, the way I learned English was from watching live yep. TV. Oh, sure. And also, I have a lot of family in the States. Playing yeah, yeah, playing yeah. I learned from playing video. And, yeah. and also, like, where I learned, like, a many, many things, it tends to be in English. So for me, mm -hmm. talking in English is, like, a very playful way yeah. to exist. Right. It's oh. associated with the things it's, that you exactly, experience in English. Exactly. Yeah. I feel more playful yeah. talking in English huh? than talking in Spanish. Yeah. I, I, it I'm gives not. you more confidence, honestly. Yeah, because oh, it's just playing. So, I don't know. I don't <laughs> it's, it's weird it's just the way i, I learn it so yeah, yeah. I, I feel very like playful if i was talking in spanish i'd be a little bit more serious yeah but i think it's just like oh, yeah I, I like it so yeah. it's not i don't feel exhausted sure. I, yeah. I love talking yeah. and talking in english is like talking plus fun, having fun so <laughs> for me it's okay that, i've never heard that perspective but it makes a lot of sense yeah, yeah i think it's how you learn the language that yeah, makes you yeah. in a certain way uh, and we're talking about games i mean well, yeah. well else working <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, you have to talk about boring stuff back home like bills and stuff oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The taxes yeah yeah it's yeah. funny like um when we did a game and we we had it um uh translated into to um latin american spanish mm -hmm. and um a streamer played it and oh, cool. played it in english and i and i i messaged them i said you know it's in spanish and they said <laughs> i don't play games in spanish oh, yeah, <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I, I, I learned a lot about like how because i think americans because we only speak one language generally mm -hmm. we don't understand what it, like not only what it's like to be bilingual mm -hmm. but also we don't understand like the context oh. of, oh. of bilingual like and on the fact that the, you, like you say you have so much like western or american culture mm -hmm. and games and how that's 
like it's not it doesn't those things still belong to you yeah right they're not other people's and so oh, yeah. and we don't really understand that like okay. it, so we need we have a lot of education okay. that we have to do yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> for example i mean I'm, I'm maybe you you, you felt the same growing mm. up i mean we watch a lot of animes yeah. like, mm -hmm. japanese yeah, yeah, yeah. like um, entertainment and then like all our channels were american entertainment mm -hmm. and there is no like proven entertainment so everything mm -hmm. we consume as a child was from either japan or or, or the America. u.s mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. so when we grew up we I, I feel i feel very comfortable in the u.s well that, yeah. that's more content in english than, than spanish so yes, right, right. we usually content. go for for english always <laughs> okay well thank you both so much yeah. for talking with us and telling us about your projects cool. yeah. and we're gonna get to play them now right sure yeah, sure sure, sure. Okay. let me open my computer <laughs> are you talking about the bug one yeah i i was gonna say i wasn't here for this but i love the name bugaboo pocket yeah yes. it's a great name it, it's like inspired by like tamagotchis of your <laughs> um, listen, I had a Tamagotchi. Same. I'm not that old. <laughs> I know no, they're not no, that old. No. I'm Mark, just saying. we are that old. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what was really cool about this was that um, uh, one of the developers, bugs. the listener, well, well bugs. Yeah, there are bugs. <laughs> that's, what, that's what was cool. But also one of the one of the one of the devs was a listener of the show. Hi. Yay, hi again. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was really it was really fascinating to, to to talk to hear them talk about their inspiration stuff. Yeah. I also ask great questions here. Dale asks great questions. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically the two of us and we make the game together it's basically a labor of love so. awesome so it's just you two doing the, the, the development yes okay. we have a couple friends that are basically helping us out with narration and music but the main development is just the two of us yeah. okay so. so true bootstrapping this is the, the, the you, there's the wind at your back and nothing else it's the real deal yeah. yes nice it is the bank account ticking down yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah we, we know that yeah that sounds familiar <laughs> do you so do you want to tell us a little bit about your game <clears throat> sure. So uh, our game is, again, Bugaboo Pocket. It's a game where you raise bugs, and how you raise your bugs will influence the ecology. So you will raise your bugs, you'll release them, and you'll see that effect on the world. Cool, cool. Dale really liked that. It's about bugs. I like bugs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, so, we, yeah, we okay. like bugs. Yeah, so here's a question. When you're talking about bugs in the game meaning things that are wrong that are causing issues in the programming etc versus <laughs> bugs in the game and characters and things you're raising do you, does it get confusing incredibly <laughs> yes <laughs> that's a good question yeah. you have to yeah. instead of a, a bug tracker you just need an oopsie tracker yeah basically <laughs> you just change terminology like we end up calling them insects but we, it's hard to call them insects because not all of the oh, see i'm gonna do it again uh -huh. the bugs in the game are insects right right, right. Yes. right, right. okay yes <laughs> an umbrella term yeah yeah huh. We did have someone come up and was like, oh, it looks like you have a lot of unintended bugs. Huh? Yeah, that was a the joke was a swing and a mess because we didn't understand it. Really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yes, you influence the ecology. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure you've traded enough jokes internally of that variety. You're kind of done with them. Yeah, I mean, no, nah, they no, don't get still old. funny. <laughs> <laughs> We still think y'all are my kind of people. Yeah. Puns are great. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's wonderful. So, um, as a labor of love, as a, a, a bootstrapped operation, like where did it start, and what made you have this crazy idea? Um. So I grew up with like tom classic Tamagotchi, um, and I think like a lot of like digital pet fans. Mm -hmm. I I feel like there aren't 
as many like really high quality, like immersive uh, digital pet games out there. And also, you know, I grew up loving bugs and like a lot of people find them to be off-putting um, or not cute. Um, so, so cute. <laughs> we think so too. And so we're really hoping to like actually help people develop empathy for these bugs, oh, interesting. you know? Um, to kind of show that they're not something to be afraid of. They're actually helpful to the environment. They mm -hmm. can be cute. They can be lovable. Um, and Beth does an amazing job in the art to uh, basically convey that. Yeah, I try to make them as approachable as possible. Because mm -hmm. I don't want people to be afraid of bugs. There's this, this horrible stigma and everyone's just so afraid of these creatures mm -hmm. that are yeah. realistically, they're, all they're doing is going about their lives. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're not gonna like. They're not gonna run after you. They're not. Like, everyone's just so afraid. Yeah. So I would love to have an impact on that. Yeah. I I really love to hear that. That like a big driver is that your game is has a message to say. Mm -hmm. You know. I mean, there's there's all the different things you need for a game. You know, the mechanics and the the software and the the story and all that stuff. But just to hear your passion about like the perp what this game is for is really exciting. And I imagine you need that to keep going. I I would say so. Yeah. I don't think that we'd be able to uh, really keep pushing forward on a game, you know, just the two of us, unless mm -hmm. we really felt like we were bringing something into the world, you know, yeah. that, that means something, at and least I, to us. I love the feedback that we get when people say yep. like, I'm not really that into bugs, but these are so cute and I would yeah. love to play with them. It's like, okay, well, yeah. you know what? I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. 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 I mean, you'll get them eventually, right? Yeah. <laughs> It's that's a matter of that's time. the goal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so here at this playtest event, um, what's the kind of feedback you've been getting here? And how does it compare to, say, other playtests you've done, if you've done them, I hope? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that when Steven's around. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's important. <laughs> <laughs> well, guess what? Uh, this was like the first major playtest for our game. Okay. Okay. We've, okay. we've released a lot of... Uh, like GIFs online sure. and that sort of thing. But this is the first time we've ever had people interact with the game. Mm -hmm. And so okay. far, a lot of it was very positive. Oh, that's good. Yeah, Every, there, were, there were some suggestions right, and things right, that right. we may implement. But for the most part, yeah, everyone seems to be really on board with the idea of, of mm -hmm. having a bug that they can touch and, <laughs> yeah. and interact with. So yeah, I think it, it worked really well. I think like that kind of to your point, like our community, like, I mean, community, as in people who like see our gifts on Twitter. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, they've been really supportive and mm -hmm. nice, you know, and that actually makes me really happy that, like, this game is maybe attracting, you know, people who just want to pet cute bugs, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, so. Well, if you need any remote playtesters, they'll right. Yeah. They will, yeah. Absolutely. So th this is the first time you're really showing it off in a public way. How long have you been working on it up to now? Yeah. Uh, started what May of last year. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's so a not long time some people they work on it for years and years and yeah. then they show it to someone. Yeah, so you're yeah. in good shape. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's still it's still a decent amount of time. I remember when I first you know worked on um, Vengeance. Like mm -hmm. I I think we worked on it for like three to six months and then we uh then we showed it off publicly and we were like oh we regret this immediately. Right. <laughs> um, so it's, I'm glad that like y'all are getting a good showing right away. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, it, it, it seems like the feedback has been good. Yeah, that's great. And you've got notes to take home and incorporate. Oh, absolutely. That's, yeah. that's great. Yeah. It's fantastic. So, um, I mean, this is the the question you never ask a game developer, like <laughs> when your game's coming out. But like, what is the plan um, for production? Do you say like about a year, about this? Or do you have any kind of, because a lot of times when you labor of love, you don't always have a plan and it's not 
always the worst, but it can be dangerous, right? Our tentative plan is um, we're hoping to have a demo released by the end of this year, mm -hmm. which will give you a, a very small vertical slice of the game. And then we're hoping in 2023 to release the full game but we will we cannot give a specific sure that's perfectly fine <laughs> no that's good yeah know what the next big step is yeah. and see how you go there's a 12 month yeah. range <laughs> yeah in that yeah. year so hey, Steven, how long have you been working on fidgets before you released it don't ask me that <laughs> <laughs> seven, seven years yeah. <laughs> it was a long time <laughs> Yeah, 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 actually, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you'll say it'll be 2023 and then it yeah. comes out 2024 and, you know, it'll be fine, though, because, yeah. like, the game yeah. will be better for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we actually just, like, hard-locked our features, like, a couple oh. weeks ago. So mm -hmm. we're like, nice. so no, no more scope creep. Yeah. That's it. That's great. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> that's some wisdom. For real. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. So do you have any kind of aspirations towards um, like publisher funding or, or marketing assistance or, or, or going through a publisher the whole way? Or is this a matter of this is yours and when it's done, you will self-release it? Complicated answer. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say entertaining the idea of it, but also talking about the pros and cons yeah. of, of having that sort of relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and you know we'll figure it out so right now i'd say uh tentative maybe i don't know sure mm -hmm. well it sounds like once you get that demo going that then you can revisit that probably, right. Right? right yes exactly that's great now you're you're really you're still in the, the i mean it's been a while but you're in that early heart of it where you're making it what it is and maybe the other stuff's a distraction right now yeah one step at a time mm -hmm. so that's great well apart from uh your game and this event how's how's gdc going for you it's been it's been really nice. Yeah. I mean, it's been uh, surreal talking yeah. to all these people and seeing them on you know first time in two years. Right, right. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a big group of people when you're stuck with like one other person for two years, right? Like, and all of a sudden you've got like, <laughs> I like how you're looking at me, one other person. Well, you want <laughs> one other person. Um, it's been lovely. Oh. <laughs> just been very clear. But yeah, it's just seeing all of these people and being social for the first time in so long. Yeah. It's it's a uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's a it's weird. It's a little, yes, it's a little. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like I feel like we're not doing that much. We're even coming a little bit later in the day, and by the end of it, we're just dead. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. only day two, yeah. right? Yes. <laughs> Thank you for the reminder. Yeah. <laughs> so the last one we have from the playtest night is actually the first interview we did at the playtest. Yes. Uh, which is for a game called Star Salvager. Yes. And you really like. You know, it's really it was really interesting. Um, uh, and diff like. It felt intuitive as I was playing it. It was like, yeah. I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing? And then like three minutes later, I was like, oh, I got it now. It's a puzzle shoot 'em up Yeah. It, it's fascinating. Like, a, like block puzzle. Oh. Like, yeah. Like not just that it has puzzle elements. It ha it's, it's traditionally puzzle-like. Mm -hmm. and, and it's a really interesting hybrid. Yeah. Yeah, it was really cool. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really fun to talk to the developer about it and, and like his his um um journey into game development because, it, I mean, it, it mirrored some of the stuff that, uh, that you went through, Mark. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, give it a listen. So my game is called Star Salvager. Okay. It's uh, what we call an action roguelike. Uh, ac sorry, roguelike action puzzler. There you go. <laughs> How um, hard did you practice? <laughs> obviously that, not, uh, enough, not enough. No, I mean like actually deciding what to call it, right? You have to have that like one line, right? You're no. not pitching it to us. We're actually interested in the process. Yeah, no, it's actually a really really tough decision to, mm -hmm. to pick basically the three words that describe your game yeah. the best. And uh, yeah, so we settled on action, roguelike, and puzzler. 
So those are, yeah, th that, that's kind of accurate. It's yeah. like the, the three things, three elements of the game that we feel are, are most important. Yeah. Now you said we, how many people are on your team working on this game? Uh, so it's me plus four employees. Okay. And then uh, we work with four or five different contractors as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, so how are you funded? We are from Canada. So <laughs> government money. <laughs> oh boy, I wish we had that. <laughs> we're from Minnesota, so <laughs> we're so close. We're you know? so close. You guys, have, you, you guys have venture capital, don't you? Mm, it's, uh, it's not as great. It's not as great. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it is fantastic uh, having access to the government, um, mm -hmm. provincial, federal grant agencies. We got wage subsidies as well. Yeah, that was a, a big part of it. Like uh, we started the business basically because of COVID. So that's so, pandemic relief then? Yeah. Oh, that's it nice. It was like, I had I had a, a, a good job in the film and television industry mm -hmm. and uh, come COVID, like I basically was unemployed. So I I uh, came up with this game as kind of something to do and there was incentives to hire people during mm -hmm. the, you know, jobs that you could do remotely and video games was an excellent, uh, and I've, I've always loved you know, gaming myself, mm -hmm. but this was, this is my first game and this is kind of a pivot from my previous career and into, to gaming. Yeah. Mark yeah. can relate to that really well. He did yeah. a lot of the same things. Yeah, I did commercial video and film for a decade nice. before, before switching to gaming. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a lot of the same skills apply, right? It's transferable, but not everything. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's visual storytelling. Mm -hmm. A lot of visual storytelling is involved. A lot of dialogue writing, a lot of, you know, mm -hmm. it's, uh, yeah, no, there's, it's definitely a lot of overlap there. So I don't do any of the coding. I don't do any of the, you know, technical stuff. So I still very much on the kind of producer, um, director side yeah. of, of things, I guess you'd say. So this is your first GDC then? Yeah. First so uh, it's day two. Yeah. Um, how's it going? Uh, I'm enjoying the event that I am currently participating in. Mm -hmm. um, probably most of all uh, <laughs> so far. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've done the whole meetings, meet to match thing and tried to, uh, and, you know, kind of, kind of realized that I may, um, I, I probably should have done more homework before coming here mm -hmm. <laughs> and really like narrowed down the people that I want to meet with. So I'm, you're not alone in that realization. Yeah. I think a lot of people go through that. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a lot of assistance when you say, I'm going to go to GDC and do some business. There's not a lot of you get advice from people, but yeah. you just have to learn by doing sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's the real, you know, that's the biggest, my biggest objective is just getting the lay of the land, doing some recon, mm -hmm. figuring it out, yeah. you know? Uh, yeah. So you gave us a key for your game. So you're yeah. far along. So you're here at Playtest Night for some like beta feedback or what, how, what's the timeline for, for production? Uh, so we're hopefully launching on early access at the end of the month. Okay. Um, so yeah, like April 1st kind of thing. Really soon. Really soon. Um, it's, it's probably too early. It's, it, I know it is like, it's, it's, <laughs> it feels that way to me. It feels like it's still too rough, but we just can't go any further with the game development without actual feedback from, from people playing the game for more than like 15 minutes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so that's what we're looking for. Yeah, we're looking for people to, you know, sink in a few hours, five hours even, and, mm -hmm. and just 
tell us what they hate about the game. <laughs> I love hearing developers talk about playtesting. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was talking to someone else earlier uh, today, and they were just like, "Oh yeah, we we, we love getting feedback." You know, and iterating off of that, I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah. Um, this is just good to hear <laughs> that someone's focused on getting that kind of content. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's like we, it's a roguelike. So, uh, you know, it has that procedural generation element that means there's like thousands of permutations of, you know, possibilities for what the players could experience. And that's just something that you need a broad, very broad community testing uh, situation to yeah. achieve. So. so the folks here who are sampling it, you, you're getting some uh, early reactions, but not the dedicated feedback you really need. Um, I mean, we're getting, this is interesting because it's, you know, totally hands off. Mo yeah. Most of our play testing that we've done so far has been kind of one-on-one, -on -one, uh, coach them through the tutorial, very handheld. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is just kind of seeing people's, you know, reaction to the screen and to mm -hmm. the game uh, first impressions kind of thing so yeah it's really cool any big surprises um i don't know yet i mean it's, <laughs> it's too soon to say like uh I i'm surprised that you know that there's just such a range of of people out there like some people are like this is way too hard this is and then <laughs> other people are yeah mm -hmm. the opposite so yeah how do you how do you balance that? It's, uh, well, I, I would guess it's a good sign that people have differing opinions because if everyone felt the same, yeah. then maybe the, the game wouldn't be unique enough, right? True. But hopefully you'll learn yeah. more when the game is out in early access. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I cannot wait. Um, we went to, me and Dale and Ellen went to the European Game Showcase. I think that's what it was called. Mm -hmm. um, and we played a bunch of games here. Um, one of the games we played was called I Doesn't Exist, which was a really fascinating um, text adventure. A modern text adventure. Modern text adventure, yeah. It uses, I'm going to butcher this, machine learning, because mm -hmm. we had a conversation about this earlier. <laughs> it uses machine learning um, to like help you like help the text adventure part work. Right. So like old and they, they definitely like included a lot of retro aesthetic in the design of the game. So like it, you have to like launch fake DOS from Windows. Yeah. Which speaking of being old, I had to do when I first started playing games. <laughs> yeah. And it was one of my like something I actually kind of miss is like you boot it up and it goes. <laughs> and then then you have to go like slash win, press enter. And then, you you know, anyway, you open Windows or you play. uh Jane of the Jungle, yeah, Rosella, <laughs> yeah. or yeah, yeah. Um, and they kind of they kind of capture that process, yeah. Um, but then they go on and they do more. And the old text adventure games where you would have to like input a specific set of characters, of characters, you know, in order to yeah. have something happen. But yeah. you would have to say specifically go to and then right. the name of the thing. Yep. Whereas here you can say walk to right, walk to water, walk to wire. You still end up at the water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that it, was... it learns your intent. Yes. It yes. learns your intent. Yeah, exactly. That's so, so fascinating. It's in, that, cool. in this genre specifically. Yeah. yeah. It's really interesting. So I, I we're going to, they're on the other side of the world, but we're going to track them down on the internet. They've got to be on the show because I want to hear more about how they, you know, develop this. It's a two-person team. Mm -hmm. and it, Students, too. Yeah. It's really, really cool. Um, I doesn't exist. We both studied game design. In, uh, in Switzerland, and it was our bachelor project that uh, sort of rocketed off in popularity for some reason, and now we're at the GDC, so that's kind of how that happened. 
Um, as for what the game is, it's a, it's a modern text adventure, as you said, that's the subtitle. Um, and we're modernizing the text adventure genre by using, I think, beautiful pixel art um, and conversational AI, actually, to make sure that the text parsing is like super low friction. I said low friction, oh no. <laughs> Are you not supposed to say low friction? I don't know, I think it's just such a thing, you know, it's frictionless. It's horrible. Oh, well, I... So one thing I noticed right away watching this game is that like I, I played other text adventures in the past and I had a hard time like communicating with it's like a whole language you have to learn in order to play the game. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I yeah, and so you said there's like an AI learning thing that like takes your sentences and parses it and understands what you're doing effectively. Yeah, exactly. You can uh, like there's a lot of different ways you can tell it to walk somewhere. You can say go, you can walk, you can move towards, you, all kinds of stuff. And the cool part about it being conversational AI and it having neural language processing in the back, it gets smarter as it goes on. Oh, It's not that smart yet because we don't have that much data yet. But uh, yeah, it, it's supposed to learn from the player inputs. Okay, so it, so it gets better at understanding what the player is trying to say as you play it. Exactly, yeah. And one thing I noticed especially about this game is like it has, you know, animations and as you tell it to do things, there's actual stuff that happens on the screen. A lot of text adventures don't have that. Can you go into like uh, the thought process behind that? Uh, yeah, so we wanted to have as less text as possible because well, we also thought when playing text adventures, it was like this whole wall of text that you have to go through and it, cause it feels like a chore almost to play the game at some point. So we kind of I have the pixel art now and the animation, so we have a big chunk of text that just falls away. So we ha we can really just go into detail with what's really necessary. Yeah, and one thing that's really cool too is that like when you like when the player stops and is in a new location, the game just like automatically tells you what's in it. I mean, aside from the fact that you can visually see everything, yeah. it also just gives you descriptions. So it makes it more accessible in that way, which yeah, is nice. Definitely. I mean, some people don't know maybe what they see on the screen sometimes. And the game basically tells them, hey, there's there's a bucket. Go check it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. That's, that's actually something that came through um, through the like playtesting process because at the beginning we didn't have that and it just automatically like gives you a little bit of text when you stop. And we just realized, especially if you're not a person who has played a text adventure before, you don't know that you're supposed to look at things, that you're supposed to tell the game to look at it. So we try to make it easier there as well. Oh, that's so clever. And we love... Uh, uh, playtesting at Nice Games Club, so y'all did a good job with that. <laughs> how, how long have you been making this game for? Since, well, it was the Bachelor Project, so about... Uh, six months? Six, six months, months, I think? Okay, six months, cool. Full development time, six months, yeah. Oh, wow, okay. Well, it's coming along really well already. And it's just you two on the team? Uh, we have two musicians. Oh. We have two musicians that make the music for us. Okay, cool. Which the music, by the way, is uh, procedurally generated. Procedurally Whoa. generated music. Amazing! I love it. That's so cool. <laughs> that is, yeah, that is very impressive. And you did all this in six months? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not a lot of sleep though. So. <laughs> well, make sure to get some sleep. That's important, <laughs> especially here at GDC. It's you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, it's intense here. <laughs> it, it sure is. <laughs> Well, cool. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to go back to Dale and see how she's doing with the game. Dale, how are you doing with the game? The game will not let me take a nap in this hammock. <laughs> Dale wants to take a nap in the hammock. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh, th this one was a fun one.
Uh, uh, I I got this. I okay, know. I've been Alan's thinking about it. this. Right? Alan's got this. Okay, so you've watched The Little Mermaid, maybe? Yes, maybe. And there are pro- <laughs> there are problems with that movie. Uh huh. Uh-huh. But um, if you remember the se- the sequence where you know Sebastian's singing under the sea, yeah, and you got all these like undersea critters, and they're like playing things that you find under the ocean as instruments. Mm-hmm. That's like what this game is. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> At least what this demo was. So like, um, Patch World is. Uh, it's like a creative space. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that we were playing it is, it's like a musical creative space, and so oh. like, you were like, ba- I was like, basically creating like an undersea like mix table. Like and I was like a DJ, and I was bringing up a bunch of different instruments, and yeah, like, spinning them. And this is all in VR, right? So mm-hmm. it's I think they're going to be releasing it on Meta. Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember the specific. We we'll, we'll have a link to the thing. Like I didn't get to play a ton of the game, right? You play for twenty minutes, and you're not you're only scratching the surface of a game mm-hmm. that has this level of rich interactivity. But um, one of the things that can always be cringy about stuff like this is like the tutorialization, and the tutorialization was a delight. They have yeah. a little character called Patchy, and I, at first I'm like Patchy. You mean like is it going to be like Clippy? Not like Clippy at all. Patchy <laughs> is cool. <laughs> <laughs> Patchy can hang. Like, <laughs> it was good. My name is Melody. <laughs> awesome. Oh, that's perfect for this game. I love that. Well, yeah, I guess I was meant to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so can you um, tell me a little bit about your game? Uh, so here we're presenting Patchworld. And Patchworld is not exactly a game. It's a musical immersive experience, which is super playful, like a game. But it's also a tool so you can actually build musical world anything interactive with music you can build in vr without leaving vr it's really really fascinating <laughs> oh wow that's really cool this reminds me of the the ds game called electroplankton i don't know have you heard of that before yeah that was awesome yeah yeah that was a cool game that was really cool um so what what um engine are you using to build this game in so we created our own engine from scratch oh awesome yeah. that's that's really cool so, <laughs> that's so hard okay listen, listen so we made our own engine to do all the sound uh, and visual like real-time processing okay and then we're using unity for managing all the assets basically Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but everything real time, and especially the audio engine, has been started five years ago by my co-founder on his previous game, which was also a music VR game in which you could build instrument, like was a patching environment, like Max MSP or Pure Data, and you could basically be inside the circuits and really connect low-level blocks to create musical instruments from scratch, like an inventor. Oh, cool. So now we took took that thing and we took it to the next level. So you don't only build musical instruments, you can build complete world, like anything. Like bring your own assets, bring your own sample, but also, you know, user, like it's all user generated content stuff as well. So a lot of our uh, early users are creating super cool musical instrument, like replicate of the 303, of the 808, like these super iconic machines. They make it in our engine, I mean, in our tool. And then other users take it, like download it and start making machine and and music. you know, immersive music video. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, listeners, you can see there's a lot of, seems like a lot of things are like inspired by like the sea and the ocean. Well, like, so, Yeah, so at release, we're gonna have three premium worlds because okay. as we created this tool, we're also creating stuff with our tool. 
So at release, there are going to be three premium worlds that we've created okay. using our tool. So one is this underwater world where you come in and there's this guy called Patchy. Mm. And Patchy is, you know, this very nice guy. And he's teaching you how to use this underwater instrument. So it's kind of sea animal that you can... You know, feeds with bubbles and bubbles are samples, but you can also record your own sample. Like you can blow into the the bubble blower yeah, okay. and say something, like say something, and then you can put that say something into one of these animons and you can just start playing, make music like this. Awesome. So um, was this like this, this idea, was this inspired by anything in particular? I think which was like, we wanted to, it's kind of like Fantasia, right? Mm, it's yeah, like basically yeah. the thing where you're like in this fantastic world and you can start controlling music and any object and anything can become musical. Yeah. So this is kind of like what it's like. So you're inside this crazy world and everything becomes an instrument. Everything is playful, makes music and you can control everything. And you can record yourself making little performance in there and publish that. That's so cool. So, um, how how big is the team working on this game right now? Is it just, is it just you and your co-founder? No, we're twelve. Yeah. Oh, twelve. Okay. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, we started. I mean, as I said, we worked from the engine my uh, co-founder built before. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we got a grant from Meta um, that enabled us to grow the team and create this like super cool product. Uh, game, whatever you call it, and yeah, we grew to twelve. Really and quickly, seems like. Qu yeah, quite quickly. Yeah. I mean, we started to work on this game in um, 2012. So we incorporated the company at the end of 2020. Okay. And uh, yeah, so it's been like a year and a half of work, and we're hoping to release this summer. Uh, you suck at parking, Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I admit it. I'm not great at it either. Um, this game is fascinating because it's like a racing game where the goal is to park in particular locations. Um, and oh yeah, this this game got some notice a month or so ago. I, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, have you heard of how you can choose your explosion? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna you say, can oh. choose your explosions. <laughs> yeah, and so we talk about that for a while. <laughs> I think I don't remember, but uh, oh, I, I do. It's a racing game where the goal is to stop. So basically there's one or more parking spots in a level and you have to race towards the parking spot and park your car. Okay. The sort of the, the twist on the genre is that you, 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 if, when you stop your car, it's parked. So it's, if it's not in the, in, the, in the parking spot, it's sort of illegally parked and you have to try with a new car, just endless amount of cars. That also means that you can drive backwards. Um, okay. So. And then we make it just as hard as possible for, for the player with, with lots of uh, traps and hazards and, and, and stuff in the level, like magnets that suck in and, or explosive borders or like this uh, boxing glove that's pushy over the track um, just to um, make it more difficult, I guess. Cool, cool. Um, can I ask you how you came up with this idea? Because it's quite unique, a racing game where you're supposed to stop. Yeah, so the idea was we wanted to make a racing game and then the brainstorm was, yeah, what can we do with the genre? What can we do? And then, yeah, let, let's make a racing game where the goal is to stop. Mm -hmm. And from that game, like, okay, then it's a parking game. Um, yeah. Cool, cool, that's awesome. What uh, engine is this made in? This is Unity. 
okay. Unity with PlayFab as a backend and yeah, yeah. I want to point out that while we're talking, um, Dale is going through. She was just going through like the setup for her car, and there was a whole page where you could choose what your explosions looked like, and that is my thing. Yeah, I love explosions. I love that screen. Yeah, you can basically co completely customize your car from colors to like a hat or something and, uh, that you put on the on it. Your trail, uh, like the smoke trail, uh, the explosion, the parking effects, all of that is just customizable to what you want your car to look like. That's cool. That's cool. How long have you been working on this game? I know that's a dangerous question. <laughs> yeah, so we started out in December 2019, ah, but okay. actually started really working on it like full time with the studio in 2020, uh, the summer. And it's coming out somewhere around the, the, the summer this year. Oh, awesome. That's exciting. Dale, how are you feeling about the game so far? I'm bad at parking. Dale's bad at parking. But my car is super cute. Dale's car is super cute. What were some of the other things that you guys tried? So the first art style was sort of um, a cardboardy thing. And then there was like this 80s neon thing. But yeah, and then we ended up this. Um, yeah, it looks looks really good, I think. I think it looks really good. That, do you have somebody who makes the shaders and stuff for you? Yeah, yeah, we've got a really good uh, technical artist. How, how big is your team? 16. Oh wow, 16, nice. Yeah, and, and we're still growing. At the end of the year, we need to be with uh, 21. Wow, that's awesome. That's good to hear. I think the, la the last few of these, Ellen, you or... <laughs> Actually, I ended up not going to any talks because I had so many interviews and I yeah. also had some work to do. We talked about that during part one. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so Agent Intercept is a game that is coming from Pickpock. Mm. And it is like... It's a, it's She's smiling so much right now. I cannot contain how it's, it just looks so cool. Yeah. So I didn't get my I didn't get my hands on a demo, right? But um it's the way that we talked about it, I was talking with the um the direct creative director, not creative director. He's got a really specific title. Mm -hmm. Um, but we were talking about the game and it's basically like, yes, this genre is for me. Mm -hmm. So it's like got racing mechanics, but it's not necessarily just a racing game, and it's got spy mechanics, but it's not necessarily like a stealth game. Nasty. It's like you're James, it's like spy in the way that James Bond is a spy. Cool sure. gadgetry, <laughs> like over the top action, you know, ridiculous plot, but it takes itself seriously. So it's really, really fun. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm really excited to play it. Um, it's called Agent Intercept. And I, yeah, I'm, I want to blow things up. I'm excited. If it's nonstop, big, 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 everything doesn't feel big. Yeah. It's kind of <laughs> right? Like, cause it's, you need that proportional change in intensity yeah. to really make those moments shine. So how did you, how did you adjust things so that you can sure. have those big moments? Yeah. A couple of, I think, interesting things to say about that. So let, let's start with the, um, the sort of big picture. So the game started for, with the pitch from our chief design officer, Andy Sabathwaite, and it was actually much smaller. He and the lead designer, uh, Dwayne Kirkwood, as well as some of the rest of the leads on the team, did a really great small scoped um, vertical slice to make sure to like get a transformation in, get a gadget in, get a boss battle in, get the core driving and drifting and, and stunts down, and that was it. Yeah. Um, but they did that really well and honed it. So the game actually started very tight. Like, mm -hmm. you get the driving mechanics, fun boss battles, fun transformations. And then we really slowly built it up from there. Mm -hmm. So I came in after that prototype, uh, the better than prototype vertical slice was done. Um, and the, um, the first levels that were starting to, you know, feel tight. And one of my jobs was, how can we make it bigger? Not just what is the game we have, but what could the game be? 
So my early narrative pitches were less about trying to get a set story and more about trying to go, guys, what if the game we make had this kind of stuff in mm-hmm. it and really get everybody on board with that? So yeah, started with a really small, good, well-controlled scope, and then we just added and added and added and added. Smart. So any individual <laughs> level um, did have those ups and downs. So. And it was fun because we did user testing and watched the graphs and as people like rated their favorite levels and the most difficult levels and the most exciting levels, the graph was like... The same thing, line goes up, yeah. (laughs) So that was really fun. Um, But that did take planning the entire story in advance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Loosely, you have to leave room to change. But I did do an early outline that was like, here's the overall course of the story. Mm -hmm. And then as we did each... uh, chapter i would i would start with a whole chapter outline here's the overall arc of this entire chapter and then we would drill down and go here's the arc of this level we always laugh because that there's actually <laughs> there's one of my favorite side missions is exactly that where you we have you play another agent who's actually doing stealth mechanics and then when your main character comes through they're just this like bat out of hell destroying everything <laughs> around them it's so kind of like winking nod that you're actually not a spy you're just this you know agent of mayhem you should <laughs> <it> for good <laughs> Um, it sounds like the entire team had a really fun time building yes. it together, though. What were some, um, what's like your secrets, your secret sauce for leading the team, um, not just making a good game, but also having a good experience doing it? Yeah. So I will say credit to all of our leads, you know, tech lead, design lead, art leads, uh, everyone working together was was all in. So, uh, yeah, it certainly wasn't just me. But I think there, there are two, two secrets there. Um, well, we'll say three, and I, I already mentioned one, two, one, one, is the, the reasonable scope help. Like by starting small and knowing what the game was about and honing the core and getting our like design pillars and experience pillars down and creating that vertical slice that met those, that was really key. Um, because then it was scoped right away and everyone kind of understood what it was. Beyond that, I think the things that I brought were, one, the sort of intrinsic love, just reminding people that this was fun. Mm-hmm. Like game development is stressful and hard and requires skills, mm-hmm. but it's also fun. Yeah. Um, and so not losing that. Um, and then two, pitching that vision of what it could be, mm-hmm. you know, not being afraid to go, look, what I'm pitching you is not in scope, but it's in tone and I'm giving you the possibility. Let's right. just go on that ride together for a few minutes. And I wouldn't be stupid. Again, I would know what the restrictions and stuff are, but to do that picture this yeah, and then get everyone excited. And then from there go, okay, how do we actually bring this to life in a meaningful way? You know, we right. can't do this, but we can do this other thing. And that part sounds cool, but actually it's kind of out of tone. So let's change it. And, you know before every level you would get members of all the different disciplines in the room together yeah. and do this brainstorming session. Yeah. So the, I'll talk you through the process in a little more detail. So it would start with a number of restrictions that would come from the other leads. So the yeah. lead designer would say like, we need to use this transformation mode. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a good level I use for an example. Um, there's a side mission where the, what came in is we were like, okay, we, we want to expand the sub-boss because the sub-boss is cool. Let's find a, a new way to use that. We have this Arctic environment that we need something in. You know, the art team is working on this awesome new snowy environment. And we have this transformation mode where you turn into a sled and go in the snow. So it's mm-hmm. like, all right, those are the kind of core asset gameplay things I need to get. And we also know the scope of about how long it can be and how many set pieces there can be. So then I pitched this story where... The sub is testing a super weapon. It's a seismic cannon that causes earthquakes. And so you need to like scope it out, call down an airstrike and take it out. So you're driving up the mountain 
But then another boss shows up and takes you out. You do a boss fight and that boss fight explodes and causes an avalanche. And then you ride the avalanche down and take out the sub. It's so amazing. Which, you know, sounds like a fun level. Hopefully yeah. it just sounds like a fun thing, but it's For also sure. there to go, cool. We've got a reason to go up the mountain and enjoy this new environment. Yep. We've got a reason to work both of our bosses in. So we have good, our boss fights are really strong. So yep. we have those mechanics. We have a reason to use the transformation mode. They all feel like they're either logically flowing from the story or a nice fun twist to add to the story to keep the action high and raise yeah. the stakes. Uh, so, there. so then I would do that as a flowchart. And then I would pitch that to the whole team mm -hmm. working on the level, the, mm -hmm. the mini team working on that level and go, here's what it, here's what it is. And then we'd have that fun, exciting, like kind of what if session. Uh, and then from there, we would kind of break it down and go, okay, you know, we can do this thing. We can't do this other thing. What if we added this mechanic in here? What, what gadgets do you think would be right for this level? You know, Actually, you know, this part sounds fun. We don't think we can do it. What if we do that? We kind of break it down. Then people would go off. The level designer would actually kind of sketch out the map of the level. Um, the cinematics directors would start to storyboard, uh, make some notes on that. Um, I would go and write a level script, and we'd made a format that worked where I kind of detail out all the main beats, um, leaving room, of course, for the level designers. Like, I would do a script, so I would write all the dialogue and write all the moments, but those would just be kind of like... Um, you know, milestone moments. And yeah. the level designer, of course, was actually making the gameplay moment. To yeah, you're giving them like a set of sticky notes that you've written on yeah. and you put them where they need to go. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, and then likewise, I would write the cinematics out in like script format, but just to get my intent across, but the cinematics designers would actually, you know, come up with the shots and, and detail that out. Yeah. Um, and so then we'd usually come back and compare the script, have another meeting where we have the storyboard and the script and the level map and kind of talk through those and look at the details and, you know, look at the storyboards and see how we can get the best out of the cinematics. And I change some of the dialogue, mm -hmm. and, you know. That iteration. They, yep. Yeah, they would look at my script and see what they could work in the level. I would look at the level map and work that out in the script. And then we kind of hone it there and then go back and actually produce those. Got it. Yeah. How many people were working on this together? Yeah, the, the team at its biggest was maybe 30, okay. I think. Um, and then each team for each level was, you know, one level designer, one or two programmers, one or two artists. Um, uh, for devs, I can't stress enough, clear vision. Um, it helps everybody get on board. Collaboration, everybody contributed to every aspect of the game and felt clear giving feedback to every aspect. Mm -hmm. And don't forget that games are fun. Yeah. Um, and, you know, enjoy what you're making. Yeah. Take steps to enjoy the process of making it. Yeah. So, Alan, we braved the, what, Marriott lobby to talk to uh, the uh, artist known as Disaster Piece, mm -hmm. um, who did uh, the sound system. I mean, it's not even really the soundtrack. Wait, Disaster Piece? Yeah. yeah, man. What? Okay. I know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I Every every week, I get to talk with famed <laughs> reggae star Stephen McGregor. Wrong Stephen McGregor, but okay. <laughs> but this was the real Disaster Piece. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, not quite the soundtrack, but the like sound system for mini motorways. And Ellen and I spoke yeah. with him about, I mean, it's in the interview, but I can, I can't help but like talk just how interesting it was. It was so fascinating. I'm yeah. really glad that, I'm really glad that you and I were both able to have that conversation because, um, we both have a lot of musical background from different, you know, from different routes. Yeah. Um, but we got, you know, we got into the theory of it a little bit and the mechanics of it a little bit. And I like sound system. It, it really, it's like a musical system, right? It's yeah. not like a soundtrack. It's not like a, you know, the OST of many motorways, even though technically I guess it would be, but it right. really is more like environmentally and mechanically driven, which is fascinating to hear him talk about. I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Steve.
Some games they have dynamic music or triggers, but it yeah. sounds like it's essentially a, the gameplay also happens to be a sequencer. Exactly. That's yeah. really interesting. Oh, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, it's a sequencer. Yeah, and that's really interesting. Because even, I mean, you've done a lot of the um, music composition for like the show and the indie games that you've worked on. Yeah. <laughs> but even just beyond like the smaller titles to the bigger titles, like, you still have like normal structures of music. Yeah. And I'm curious, like, I'm curious what specific challenges you run into or how you're thinking about it as a composer when you have to break it down to even smaller component parts. Like, there's a four-bar phrase, we actually might need to make it smaller. What do you yeah. think? How do you do that? I think um, <coughs> it's maybe not the wisest path to go down unless it's a very particular type of game. Okay. So for, for these games, it, it made sense to me that we could do a procedural score because um, we're not having to hit like these very particular emotional beats like yeah. moment, moment to moment you know what I mean it's mm -hmm. more it's more like ambient and um, mm -hmm. meditative right. so the, the music has more there's more flexibility there to, mm -hmm. to not be so you know traditional I guess yeah. um, it can be a little bit more kind of minimal experimental so. so how do you how do you essentially compose a track that will never be finished in, in, the, in the traditional sense it's like do you start with the with themes or beats or, or that sort of ambient sort of tone so in, I mean mini metro I mean each game has its own system yeah. that sort of drives the music um, in mini metro um, it has a lot to do with the makeup of the of the of like the, the subway system. Mm -hmm. You know, each each station on the each station on each line is basically represented by um, a pulse, and so it kind of like goes through. It'll like kind of like cycle through, and each one has its own. You know, each one has its own uh, like repeating pattern, basically. Yeah. And each line, you know, each line will have a will be like a different pitch. Um, each station has a different like, like a texture, like a timbre to it. Yeah. Um, and so all of that kind of comes together to kind of uh, create the general soundscape of Mini Metro. And those pitches and stuff, they and rhythms, they sort of like evolve over time, um, based on like a, basically like lists of, of data. And some of the data is like stuff that I like handmade. Yeah. Um, and then some of it is it's like data that's piped in from the game based on like you know how many passengers are at the station right, right. Or, or whatnot um, and then many motorways is a little more it's a little more abstract um, there's a system where it basically like I made this huge database of like different kinds of chords and then for each city it's like okay which chords do you want to use and it's, so you know each city has like a slightly different setup for how the harmony works yeah um, same thing for the rhythms. Basically, everything the Mini Metro did, we took in Mini Motorways and just tried to like expand on it. Okay. So um, in Mini Metro, all the all the audio loadouts are done with JSON files. Mm -hmm. Like it's all just like uh, we just templated it all out so that it's easy to like kind of make new new cities and stuff. The same kind of features. But in Mini Motorways, I I got more comfortable and wanted to kind of push myself a little bit. So. Mm -hmm. Each city just has its own like uh, class, like code class, and so you know it's just custom code for every every yeah. city for the music system and audio. And I'm guessing that you were able to do that expansion because you had a base to work from. Like you had to work from uh, Mini Metro, yeah, no, so you could have, the scope could get bigger. No, exactly. Yeah, like we already had the engine. You know, we we, we had done a lot of legwork about how this stuff was going to work, and so it made it easier to like kind of like get into. Um, 
to do more with it. Yeah. So with Mini Motorways, we got more into like, like in Mini Metro, the everything is very like uh, uniform, like the way the rhythms work and stuff. And in Mini Motorways, we took the we took the system and basically made it so that you can have any rhythm that you want. Um, and then you know, there's all sorts of like musical effects in Mini the Mini Motorways that weren't in Mini Metro. Um, so it was really like uh, kind of. It was kind of just like a really wild, like passion project, <laughs> kind of like uh, just a creative sandbox, feature creep, but like on purpose, right, kind right. of like way of working. <laughs> yeah. Uh, How do you do things just like testing to see if it works? Do you have to set up sample things? Do you have a platonic ideal of a thing together and then you just understand there will be variations based on player behavior? Or do you do a lot of listening to different combinations to sort of weave out the edge cases? Yeah, there's there's a lot of edge cases. Um, so essentially, what I ended up doing on, on motorways is uh, you kind of start with a really large possibility space and then try to narrow it down. Okay. So instead of like having like a like a codified system, it's kind of like a tool set, mm -hmm. and you can kind of like you can make it as crazy as you want. It's like it's like the default is to like for the for the chords, for instance, is just to use all the chords. Yeah. So like it could just pick anything you could possibly think of and sometimes it's gonna be really like evil or you know, like just not the vibe that you're Yeah. So so I kinda of designed it in a way where it's like you can kinda of do whatever you want, but then you know you have to go in and kinda of like hone it in, hone yeah. it down a little bit. And you said you do, each level has its own sort of definition. They yeah. just have to find like the key and the and, and, and certain things that keeps the music harmonious. It divide it defines it'll define some static things like that, but also like how it progresses like, yeah. throughout the course of gameplay, and it also has a bunch of like uh, you know event callbacks for different kinds of gameplay okay. behavior. Yeah. I'm always adding new ones, right, 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 you know, with updates and stuff. Well, so I have an idea for like how could this city be different? You know, yeah. how could we do something a little bit more fun? Yeah. It's good texture. I mean, like, and I really like the the parallels between the way that you describe the soundscape being constructed and generated, and just like the different things that you find in a different city, right? Like, this, yeah, this, yeah. You know, some of the rules are the same. You're in the country. You're going to drive on one side of the road, which is the other. Right. You're going to turn right on stop, you know, on stoplights, or you can't turn left, something like that. But then the texture on top of that is different. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's, there's like, and, and sometimes it's a little tricky to figure out that balance, but there's definitely like a foundational structure to like everything and like how everything operates. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing that glues it all together, so that the levels are not too crazy and different from each other. Um, so those are like kind of the, you know, there's like the basic systems that. That are, that are running everything, but then, but then there's like all the, the sort of the, uh, the, the sugar on top. Right, you can right, kind right. Of put on different, different cities to make them different. Um, I guess the last question I have for you, Ellen may have a hundred more, <laughs> is, <laughs> I, always, I always want to know this about musicians, is do you enjoy more the performing or the composing? Mm. And this is, this is a whole different thing, but as you create, is, yeah. it, is it really about feeling it or about tinkering it and, and, and writing. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I love to play instrument. Like, I have a piano, I love to play it. Um, and I love the process of composing. It's really fun. I think projects like these, they scratch a somewhat different itch for me. Mm -hmm. um, I don't spend a whole lot of time like composing, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, it's, a, lot of, it's a lot of coding and um, tinkering. Right, you know, right, just right. trying stuff. And, oh, it would be cool if this. It would be cool if that. It's not really the same kind of like um, feedback loop that you have if yeah. you're using a DAW or 
Yeah. So you find yourself in different patterns then, because you're yeah. it's doing all the different work. Yeah, like it's you in a different headspace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's part of like, like with Mini Motorways, it was like figuring out like some sort of interesting new system for how to generate music at all, you know. And so it was kind of a nerdy exercise in um, looking at uh, you know the common pitches between chords, yeah, and all that kind of stuff. So it must not, have been a lot of most, fun discovery. It was really fun. Yeah. yeah, not the most like you know, I don't know, like it's just so different than you know just like. Playing, yeah. playing support, just on a keyboard or whatever. But, nice. So, you know, it's nice, nice to be set up. Mm-hmm. That was one of my biggest questions. It was just like, how does it, re- you know, when you compare composing for video games, especially given the process and the type of music yeah. that you created for this, how does it feel different than your other composition work? Yeah, um, I mean, I think a lot of like the more traditional composition work is more. It's more emotionally involved for me yeah. to, to do that kind of work. For yeah. sure, that makes sense. And the more technical it is, the more I can kind of like detach myself emotionally. Yeah. Um, and it becomes more like puzzle solving. Right. And so both of those things, I value those in, you know, in different ways and for different reasons. So maybe like there have been times where I was doing a lot of just writing and it was very like emotionally taxing and then I just kind of wanted to take a break but I still you know had to work wanted to work and so it was like really nice to switch over into something more you know more technical using the opposite side of your brain but in the same space essentially yeah yeah that's like there's a, a sort of like laziness to mini metro mini motorways as far as how I went about making them mm-hmm. like mini motorways most of the sounds in mini motorways are from mini metro <laughs> because I just copied it over and I started working on it I was like oh you know what do you work yeah I mean if it works right yeah 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 it's still like it's fundamentally different in so many ways that right. it just ended up being like a an easy win as far as like how to, how you make them thematically right. sound related to each other even though they're one of the new. I mean, no one disses Beethoven if we're writing for the same orchestral music, so like you need to use the same sounds. That's a lot. Well, it's that conversation about asset reuse that game developers are like, yes, we do that, yeah. and gamers don't really understand. But that's, I've never really heard that talked about really at all in terms of music. Yeah. But of course it would be the same way if, yeah. if, it, if the systems you build use those pieces like assets the way any yeah. other discipline does. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, thinking of it like a, like a keyboard that has sounds in it or something. Yeah, yeah, it's right. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how many C's do you need? <laughs> <laughs> Broken Pieces is a psychological thriller. Okay. Right, okay. Um, it's very rich environmental storytelling. So in this game, in Broken Pieces, you are playing uh, a person and she finds herself basically like stuck in a town outside of time by herself. And so it's, you know, she's by herself and she's trying to figure things out. She's trying to figure out how to like get things right again. Um, And, but just like some of the most beautiful scenery and environments and the sound, like the environmental sound design was just fantastic. And, it just it felt really like I was watching the developer play play the game and um, it felt like the pacing was really good and it felt very like very much not frustrating like some of these games can be like I'm thinking of like Mist for example or ah yes that yeah. was frustrating <laughs> um, or I never even I think I got through like five minutes of Riven and I'm like I'm done <laughs> um, there was the one was the one. Um, Oh, I'm forgetting the name right now where you had to like draw the lines on the environment. Do you guys remember that? Uh, no. 
Okay, never mind. I'll, we'll link it in the show um, notes. I'm going to go with Witness. Yeah, Witness. Oh, the Witness. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's what you're talking about. Yep. Um, and that one, like, it's you. You're, it's first person. This one's right. more, thir- this is a third person, right? Okay. You're over the shoulder of the character and you're, you know, you know, moving things around and things like that. And I just, I don't know. I liked that a little bit better. I felt like I was with her on this yeah. journey. Cool. And so I didn't, didn't feel so lonely and stuck <laughs> <laughs> all the time. Um, really, really beautiful. Yeah, I think it's always difficult to, like, make a main character in games because, that making a main character with character is sometimes difficult because you also want it to be somewhat of a blank canvas for the care for the player to be able to put their own kind of feelings and opinions and, you know, personality into. So it can be difficult to like strike that balance. Yeah. Mm. I, I think uh, the, the main regret I have with her is that she's a bit too pretty, I think, uh, in the sense that she's a bit too symmetrical, you know, but it was difficult for us to to do something. Uh, we, uh, we 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 lacked the skill to to do something with more personality. I think I think that's why more and more games are so scanning real people because real people they have this tiny default uh, that are difficult to to create and imagine. Yeah, we tried to 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 have a. She's not she's not a damsel in distress. Uh, she's a she's a strong character for us and. And she, we, we wanted to invert a bit uh, the superhero that saved the, the, the lady. And it's kind of the other way around here. Uh, so we had to have a character that had uh, this kind of personality. And uh, she's not easily stressed or she's not fearful or anything that would be cliche. We, it's been a it's been a side project at first because we had other jobs and uh, my associate we and me we we worked uh, just the two of us for a very long time um, and uh, well a very long time since uh, yeah we we worked on our free time for a year and a half then we joined Freedom Game uh, I guess it was eight months ago something like that so yeah so. Yeah, I guess the medium uh, team size would be three and a half for the whole development. Yeah, that's. And uh, that, that was hmm. that was difficult. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm doing a part too because it looks. I mean, it looks so polished. So the last one we have is a game called Mail Time. Who played this? Me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Mail Time. So. <laughs> that's wonderful right, so we should have a supercut of Ellen just being excited about things because we've got plenty of content yeah. um, so mail time is like cottage core <laughs> um, very adorable very happy uh, mail delivery game made by a single developer named Kayla mm. and uh, published with Freedom Games um, and a really tight demo that I played the nonsense out of and like the dialogue with the care, you know, like a little cottage court, like you're playing a little like gnome and you're running around delivering your letters to a whole bunch of different animals yeah. in this oh. tiny little grove, right. this demo, right? Exactly. So you've got to deliver one to the hedgehog and then there's a ferret over here and an otter over here and they all have different personalities and things to say. And you have to like, you're, inter- you're engaging with these complicated storylines by delivering their mail back and forth. And it was my first date on the job. 
um, both as a player and as a character. <laughs> I nailed it. I did a really good job. Good job. Um, Yay. But it's like way harder. Like the stuff that these gnome male people have to deal with is way harder. I mean, no offense to like real life male people, but you got a truck. And I had to jump around on bouncy mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> that does seem a little more difficult. Yeah, more like environmental a, obstacles in yeah, this world. <laughs> the level of athleticism, I think, is a bit higher for male time than perhaps in the USPS, mm-hmm. United States Postal Service. Um, but I was just delighted through and through the entire time, um, both by like the art and the movement and especially the dialogue and the characters. Um, cozy gaming, if you also like jumping around on stuff, which <laughs> <Yeah>. I do. <laughs> Uh, Mailtime is produced basically by a one-woman team out of the Netherlands. Um, she gives her uh, biggest apologies. She's super... She stayed out too late last night. I don't know this morning. <laughs> I totally understand. Um, another team from the Netherlands is here for Pet Cafe Manager. Oh, yeah. And they're all hanging out together and stayed out way too late last night. That's so, funny. That was, um, that was actually our podcast's first on-site interviews. Oh, great. Week. Yeah, I'm say. Um, yeah. Um, but she's fantastic. Her brother does help her out with some dialogue, and she does a little bit of th- get some 3D environmental work online from a friend but literally everything else is off her she's really in, like cares a lot about uh inclusion and making sure everyone feels represented so we have multiple different pronouns to choose from here and a full like kind of skin tone slider of oh, options yeah. to make sure that we're representing people as much as we can Kayla, the developer is also very aware that there are people that love this game and love the art style and love the direction but want a little more of a challenge. Right. And so we do have some things in there that will help that as well and give them, make them feel like they're being catered to also. Yeah. This reminds, I'm not sure if this is going to be like a comparison that makes you happy, but like one of the things I really liked about Pyre by Super yeah, yeah, was that it did balance those really strong narrative moments with uh-huh. a really like novel and unique gameplay. I think a lot of people were off put by that because it was so different from their previous games. I mean, like, I will say I didn't finish Pyre because I didn't love the gameplay, but yeah. I love that they took the risk. Yes. Because, I mean, you're literally playing RPG NBA, like NBA Jam. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and at first I was like, this is hard, and I don't know if I like it, but right. once I started to actually like, win some of the games, and right. I really enjoyed yeah. that game. And this is, so it, this what you're saying and what you're describing is kind of reminding me of that, only because like we're having this dialogue moments where we're talking back and forth, but it seems like what's coming up, and you're kind of alluding to this, is that there's going to be some more mechanics-driven um, material as well. So it's, I think that's a nice balance. I like yeah. it when developers can do that. I know, I can already think of so many people. Like, I like, me personally, I love to do genres all across the board because mm-hmm. I just like experiencing a bunch right, of, of different course. things. Yep. But I can already think of, like, five people off the top of my head who just right. love this stuff and right. love this kind of game. Yeah, we've really tapped into something. I mean, Kayla has definitely awoken something in a lot of folks so we just wrapped our kickstarter it's 250 percent funded yay um, so that's exciting very exciting yeah which is great for us because that means that we know for a fact we have the interest there to, to go ahead and port switch exactly for launch yep and have a lot of additional kind of stuff ready to go oh, do you know what she used to build it um this is an unreal okay um she just feels like unreal was i, I feel i let me let me triple check just to make sure mm-hmm. I have have thirty unity games on our roster at this point. So right, you have a lot of and, <laughs> okay. I, and you think like, oh, Monster on Unity. Oh no, we've got Solar Two D and Game Maker Studio and a lot of options these days. Yeah, which I'm, is good for developers. Absolutely, I'm pretty sure it's Unreal because I know most people assume she was using Unity because mm-hmm. Unity is very like like approachable for younger devs. But she really likes Unreal because I think she's not um, she doesn't do a whole lot of like traditional coding she has a lot of like visual yeah programming yeah um, and so I think Unreal supports that much more 
is my understanding. I'm not a developer. I'm in marketing. Right. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I put you on the spot like that. I could be wrong. Most of the, like, a lot of people who listen to our show are developers as well. Because we're, we're all, the hosts are all game devs as well. Mm-hmm. So right. we ask about a lot of things that game devs like to talk about and listen to. So right. that's one of the things I've learned about. I, I do have a way to find out which engine it's on. Because for a lot of game events, it's very important for them to know. Because sometimes they want you know, specific engine showcases, right? Mm-hmm. So... No time is indeed an unreal. Okay, cool. Yeah, games don't have to be anything. Right. There's no reason to gatekeep what a game could be or should be or is. Uh, some of my favorite experiences in games have been very gameplay-like experiences. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, Journey is one of my favorite video games of all time, and that gameplay is by no means exceptionally challenging, right? Um, and so, but the important thing is like that game just sets a mood. It just reinforces that mood constantly, and it's just a very, very enjoyable experience mm-hmm. as a result. Yeah, I mean, um, nothing against other games that that are that do this, but I do worry that a lot of indie games, in particular, are just kind of a, a bundle of features. Yeah. Instead of being like really trying to understand the like the vibe and the setting that they're trying to create, and having everything service that. Yeah. Instead of having everything service like a grocery list of features that they know that they want. Them. Yeah, like, I like games that have this and this and this, rather than I like games because they make me feel this and this and this. Right. And then that comes through in the development. Ooh, that was a really bouncy, ooh, <laughs> real bouncy one. This is cool. I like the little nuggets of world building that are coming through the island, too. Like, that's really good. This is so much, I'm having a lot of fun with this. Great. Well, this was a packed episode. Yeah. Um, I, it might be our longest episode ever. Oh. We'll see how the edit comes together. <laughs> but I, I'm just, um, I am just surprised how much content we got from GDC and very, very pleased because I don't think we had that expectation going in, but we saw a ton of cool stuff. We met a ton of cool people. Yeah. yeah. That's great. That's cool. And got free bagels. That's true. The, the bagels, that's, you know, uh, high on the list of, of success <laughs> stories from GDC. Yep, yep, yep. For sure, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's our show. For show notes and links to all the stuff we talked about today, go to our website, nicegames.club. Visit us on Twitter at NiceGamesClub, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and a dog in the podcast studio. We like hearing from you, so tweet back or email us, contact at nicegames.club. Nice Games Club is on Patreon, as Stephen said earlier. Support the show and get stuff. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. And if you want to keep things more casual, that's cool. Just stop by nicegames.club slash discord and say hello. Next week, we'll be looking at a postmortem for Zelda 2 alike Infernax. But that's it for this week. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. Nope. <laughs> no singing. That's not cool, then. All right. Patreon. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.